with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, normal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into their own obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic Swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm Rob. And this week on Cinemodities, I want to I start by saying uh, that I, uh, I, I kind of uh, involuntarily lied to Zach the other day, before a few days before this recording, because I said something to him about a, a film that I thought I meant, but I didn't fully understand. So a few days ago, I told Zach that I watched the movie Face Off with John Travolta and Nicolas Cage, and I told him that I hated everything about that film. Now, I realize that back oh, just a few days ago, I did not understand what it meant to truly hate everything about a film. <laughs> After watching Dr. Sleep, which is the discussion for today's episode, I think I have a much better understanding of hating everything about a movie. I, I, can't, even, I can't even comprehend still how much I dislike this movie. So before <laughs> I throw it over to Zach, I, I think I did want to say, you know, there were two things I mildly liked about this movie, and I think that's maybe where I want to start, but at kind of top... Top line item, Zach, did you uh, feel the same way about Dr. Sleep? Did you uh, have a, a dissenting opinion? Where, where are you going? As if I All don't right, know. Folks. As if we as, don't as know. If you, as if the audience doesn't know. <laughs> the audience knows that they're getting involved with this episode. Um, but no, Rob, before we get into my thoughts, just uh, a quick little thanks first. Um, by the time this episode is released, but maybe not by the time you're actually hearing it, um, Dr. Sleep isn't out. We actually got to see this part of an early screening program by Fandango. We saw it on October 30th, the day before Halloween. This episode is going out November 3rd. If I, yeah, November 3rd, the episode's going out. So there's going to be a Dr. Sleep spoiler. So if you do not want to know anything that happens in this movie, uh, specifically, do not listen to this episode's entirety. Uh, but we'll definitely get into our thoughts. Um, like Rob said, Rob did not like this. Um, I, I think it's safe to say that I really didn't like this. <laughs> and I know, uh, considering that the entire month of September on Cinematis was a Terminator series, and we promised the Terminator Dark Fate episode, uh, we're not going to be discussing that on Cinematis. We are going to give kind of like our brief thoughts on it because both Rob and I have seen it by this time. Yep. But if you want to know more about Terminator Dark Fate and our thoughts, go check out Knights of Vader's episode that will release on November 7th. That episode will be a, a Terminator Dark Fate episode kind of tying it into uh, the idea of ruining one's childhood based on contemporary movies. There will also probably be some Dr. Sleep stuff sprinkled in there too. But if you want to know our thoughts in depth on dark fate go listen to that episode you'll know what it is by the date or just by the title of it but uh ter before we get to dr sleep rob brief thoughts brief non-spoilery thoughts on terminator dark fate uh dumb repetitive uh xbox 360 visual 
uh, action scenes, as Zach's put it, and I think is a, is a great descriptor for him. Uh, and, uh, oh, I guess uh, I didn't like how they used Arnold in the movie. I was about to say more of his character, but that's probably spoilery. But that, that was definitely uh, offensive to me. All right, I'm going to give my thoughts in a couple sentences. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Terminator wearing cargo shorts. Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> Terminator selling uh, drapes. I think that's all you need to know. <laughs> I think that, that tells you everything you need to know about that movie. The idea of an Arnold Schwarzenegger, Terminator wearing cargo shorts who sells drapes uh, interests you in a Terminator film. You are going to love it. If uh, that idea does not ensnare you, uh, chances are you should probably want to miss this film. And I oh, think it's, and uh, Dylan Roof. Yeah, well, Rob, <laughs> come on. Don't give away the best stuff now. You have to listen to the Knights of Vader recording if you want to know about Dylan Roof Terminator. Um, but yes, um, I think uh, in the overall ranking of the series, I would imagine both of us would probably put this toward the bottom. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh without a doubt. Yeah, and to all the people out there that are saying this is the best sequel since uh, Terminator 2, um, F you, I think is the correct way to put it. Um, you're stupid, and you're following a narrative set, set about by the filmmakers. Oh, God. It was, <laughs> I, I, like I said to Zach when we first started uh, this call today, it was not a good week for movies. <laughs> no. <laughs> Except for Kanye, but that wasn't a movie. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, the visual album concert film, Jesus is King, I saw that too, and that turned out to be the best of the three this week. There you go, folks. See, there's always a silver lining. All right, Dr. Sleep time. Okay, okay, folks, spoilers. If you don't want to listen, uh, bow out now. We'll all come back later because chances are you won't want to miss this discussion. So I, everybody knew kind of my thoughts going into this. I remember I, in, just yesterday, or maybe it was the day before, I was listening to our Halloween season of the three the season of the witch episode and i know at one point we're like tune in next week we'll be talking about dr sleep where something stupid happens <laughs> and a uh, little did i know that something stupid happens for roughly two and a half hours oh it's non-stop it's non-stop nonsense it's 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 uh, i don't want okay i don't want i've never wanted to be one of those people and yes i am embellishing and being facetious for dramatic like dramatic reasons here to to entertain an audience but this film like makes me angry oh it oh, genuinely yeah. it genuinely made me angry because after i watched it i came home i wa- i put the shining on much like death wish and the aristocats <laughs> i had to rinse the filth out of my mouth i had consumed for the last two and a half hours and as i was watching the shining i was genuinely starting to get emotional because i'm like wow steven Ke- I, mean, I felt like the ending of avengers infinity war i was sitting around being like he won he did it king king successfully partially ruined the shining he did it yep he won. Like after forty years of being angry, twenty years after Kubrick's death, he finally got what he wanted. He got his vengeance. He succeeded. And the worst part of it is, is that the uh, the morning after this, October thirty first, I went on the Twitter and like searched the hashtag looking for like reviews of like normies who'd seen this, and every single one of the reviews is glowing. Oh, it's the perfect follow-up. It's ideal. It honors both the new and the old. It's the perfect follow-up to the Kubrick film. And I'm reading these, and I felt like Wendy looking on the typewriter, seeing all all play, uh, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. I was horrified. I'm like, 
people cannot be that stupid. Or I guess it's the same thing that happens with Terminator Dark Fate with it, with the narrative of it's the best sequel since T2. It's just mm-hmm. people just consume a narrative and that's the end of it. I guess like in a weird way, we don't I guess we're no longer in the information age. We're in the narrative age where just people don't have opinions anymore. They just regurgitate narratives that are thrown at them. And yeah, it's just like, I don't want to say I was devastated by this film because I didn't, like, I'm not devastated by the film itself because I always knew it wasn't going to be very good. But I'm kind of like, like, I think Rob put it perfectly in a text message he sent to me that night. <laughs> he was, I, I, he was, and I was abhorred at just how detestable this film is in pretty much almost every single sense of the word. Yeah, a hundred percent. And even when, when I saw it uh, down in Denver, it was a packed showing. Like, I think every seat was filled up. And at the end of the movie, uh, the guy that I saw it with, like the movie kind of ended and he looked at me and he was like, I think for the whole time you were shaking your head. And I was like everything that was happening. I knew like usually when I watch movies alone by myself and I have problems with it, I'll just scream at the TV (laughs) in the theater. I didn't want to scream at the TV because, you know, with all these other people, I was trying to be a good movie goer. So all I could do was just sit there and shake my head. And I think it hit a point in the movie where I was just shaking my head constantly like this is terrible. And I think Zach said it perfectly. Stephen King won. Stephen King has effectively sucked everything that makes The Shining great out of it. Everybody who listens to this podcast, remember our four-hour discussion on The Shining? Remember all of the ideas and thoughts we had about that movie? All the things that these, this hotel, these ghosts, these specters, Jack Torrance, Danny Torrance, all these things they could represent. We had so many ideas. They're all moot now. Because this movie just takes away all the mystery. It tells us that The Shining is basically the same thing as the fucking Force. This is the homogenization of media. This was just a superhero movie. I I could not stand it. I hated it so much more than I thought I was going to. Yeah, that's that's kind of the thing. This is like, I'm trying to, oh God, I kind of, it's one of those things. I think I started, there's one specific scene in the movie that I, I'll get into that in a moment. Because I think I had a stroke during it. I'm not even making it up. I think I had a mini stroke during one scene in this movie. Okay, I think it might be the same scene for us. Okay, okay, I, okay. It's, <laughs> I guess, uh, folks, I'm not making this up. This scene goes on for about two or three minutes. And when it started, my brain just completely... I don't want to say it turned off. It actually, if anything, like if somebody was giving me like like a reading of my mind, my, my probably... Oh god, my brain waves probably going off the charts. But I literally have no memory of what happens in the scene because I couldn't figure out what why it was happening. Okay. And but but even prior to that though, is that because like Rob said, I I went to this in my theater. Um nothing really exciting happened in the sense of like the movie theater. Nothing really they seemed to be they had all under control. I was there was no reserved seating, so I was happy about that. Got my seat. And my audience, I think there maybe was like 30, maybe 40 people in my entire showing. Okay. And it was mostly 18 to 21 year olds. That was really? the, I was, yeah. Cause I, I, for the record folks, I saw this with my mother. Um, she, she read the book, Dr. Sleep. So she knew everything that happened in it. Um, I guess I should say that in the last week, I actually read the entire original shining novel. I tried to get the Dr. Sleep. That thing's like 800 pages. There was no way I could read that like in 48 hours. <laughs> um, so I don't know how faithful the book the the book is to Doctor. I'm sorry, the film is to Doctor Sleep the novel. I know it's not at all based on what my mother said and what I read in The Shining in the last week, but the audience I saw it with was pretty much children, and much like the Avengers Infinity War ep- uh, 
<laughs> the Avengers Endgame experiment in my infamous showing of Infinity War, I think I got the same people just a year and a half older. <laughs> okay. Because because all it was was again, it was kids and all they kept doing was hug again, a lot of boyfriends and girlfriends and a lot of just, oh, we're going to see a movie at night together. I think a lot of it was just, oh, this is something different to see on a Wednesday night. Not anything like, oh, I can't wait to see this. Mm-hmm. Because um, I, I guess we should go into a little bit of a plot synopsis of this. You know, I think we kind of uh, sp- retroactively, we spoiled the film in our Shining episode where we said <laughs> the film is we have half vampire people that suck the daylights out of people. And the final battle is the Overlook Hotel crossed with Home Alone. And I don't think we're not wrong, right? We weren't wrong. No, yeah, yeah, but uh, all the Home Alone esque booby traps are just um, people's minds. Inception. <laughs> yeah, it's Inception. Yeah, Inception. Yes, exactly. It's Inception. Imagine Home Alone, but Inception, but stupider, <laughs> but crazy stupider and dumber. Oh yeah. Uh, um, but no, because at two points in this movie, we have our, we have. I guess we should go through our characters real quick. We have um, Danny Lloyd playing Ewan McDonald. We have Woman in Hat, and we have Abracadabra. Yes. Those are our main characters, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then um, uh, supporting the you know, we got and the, the firemen. We have the yes. firemen from Twin Peaks. That was a good said, part. I saw. Th- I said at the start there were two things I liked about this movie. One of them was Carol Stroykin, just seeing him on screen. Great. Yeah. Anytime he's in something, great. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. I'm like, oh, cool. It's the fireman. At least they got something going for him. And even he had to die because he couldn't put up with the awfulness. He was like, kill my character. <laughs> kill me. Send me back to the White Lodge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever it takes. Um, but no, so the, so the plot of this is exactly what we laid out is uh, uh, Ewan McDonald is Danny Torrance, and he's a he's like a bomb, but then he cleans his act up and then we have a time jump of eight years for really no reason. And then, uh, we have woman, the hat and her and her band of supernatural people. It's never even made clear what, what, what they are. They're just people. They're just bad people. I think yeah, they call themselves co- the true not. Oh, really? I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah. So that's, that's a, uh, so like not as in K N O T. But that's their group, apparently. So everybody, you know it's a, a good movie when Rose the Hat is the leader of the true knot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 okay. Uh, we have that. What they do is these these people go around sucking the daylights out of children because they, they live off of sucking the daylights out of children who have supernatural powers. And they somehow they... Uh, Abracadabra is the chosen one. She's the Ray in the sense of the shining being star Wars. She is Ray. You uh, and McDonald is, I guess, Luke and you and McDonald does not want to shine anymore. When Abracadabra comes and finds him, but woman, the hat finds Abracadabra is about to come after her. A bunch of stupid stuff happens. You uh, and McDonald and Abracadabra have to go to the overlook hotel to have a final battle. For no other reason than the script tells them they need to have a final battle. And the the movie ends the exact same way the Shining novel ends. Yeah, yep, yep. The Overlook blows up. Yes. And that's the movie. Cue credits. We saved you two hours in uh, 34 minutes. Yeah, really. This is a strong no on the recommendation. (laughs) Like, really strong no. (laughs) 
<laughs> Rob has to put that in there. Just never mind. We've made it pretty clear at this point. Rob has had to add that just for dramatic emphasis, being like, "Yeah, definite no." So, this is like I'd say like a Batman v Superman level no, right? Like this is like yeah. a capital. This might even be. This might even be worse. stronger than that. Wait till we get to our questions at the end. um all right so like i guess okay going back to the scene in this that made me have a mini stroke um at at one point uh ewan mcdonald goes to a uh aa meeting for alcoholics anonymous and while he's there there's a doctor played by what he's he's a character actor you've seen in a hundred places by now and the doctor's there and ewan mcdonald goes up to him and is like doctor you left your watch next to the soap dish and I'm like, was was this referenced or mentioned at all? Like, why is he talking to Doctor Man? And then the the guy's like, oh, thanks. Then the very next scene cuts to we're in an office, and the doctor is holding the watch, and the doctor the set is a one to one recreation of Stuart Ullman's office from the 1980 Shining film with I lost McDonald. My fucking mind. Yes. Yes, exactly. And you and McDonald is sitting in the chair. Both actors are in the exact same position as mm-hmm. Ullman and Jack Torrance. The scene is again the set is identical. Everything's exactly even the in and out desk trays are where they should be and the camera angles of shot reverse shot are identical. And I was watching this the scene goes on for like 3 or 4 minutes and I literally for the entire time of them talking have do not have someone could put a gun to my head and say give me one word they say in that entire sequence and i could not tell you because my brain could not figure out why this was happening yeah it it made absolutely no sense to me because at this point aren't they in new hampshire yes what that that's the thing i was like why i was like why was this decision made and i i think i'm in the same boat as Zach. my brain was like just running in circles going so is this all like a Danny Torrance alcoholic fever dream? Like he's going back and like, I was like, is this movie happening? Like, does it matter if this movie's happening at this point? I, I, I don't understand it. I, I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> yeah. That, at that point, cause I'm sitting there and I'm like, Oh, this is going to be like Rob Sim. Like, Oh, this like the only conclusion I could pull from this was that, okay, it's going to be some hallucination or vision. Yeah. And, and nope, it's, it's just for some reason, this doctor's office, what, 3,000 miles away from the hotel and I wouldn't mind if the Overlook Hotel that they eventually go to in the third act was like completely different but it's the exact same hotel but okay before I get into that though there's three there's three sequences in this movie unlike Robson this is a bad movie don't go see it but there's three sequences in particular that drove me up a freaking wall the first one being the the doctor office scene the second one is Danny, or I'm sorry, you and McDonald at the bar of the Overlook talking to not Jack Torrance. And real quick, I give a brief shout out. God bless Jack Nicholson. Yes. Jack, Jack Nicholson is one of the richest SOBs in all of Hollywood. Yet he is still so self-absorbed that anytime somebody wants to use his likeness, not just for any like movies, but I know for years from like my action figure collecting, people have wanted a like Jack Torrance like action figure. They want a 1989 Joker figure, and he charges such an exorbitant price to use his likeness that uh, 
There's a toy company called Hot Toys. They make like 12-inch figures that are like the Rolls Royce of toys. And they, they're one of the very few companies that actually paid the, the, the likeness fee. And after two releases, they still have not – or two runs of this figure mm-hmm. that retails at like $300 a pop. They still have not recouped their initial investment. Oh, God. <laughs> so God bless Jack Nicholson for when they went to him and they said, Mr. Nicholson, can we use your likeness? And he probably like kept right. He probably to this day is still writing zeros on the piece of paper. He was going to pass to them. Yeah. And, and thank God. Cause I know we joked about that. Be force ghost, Jack Torrance. And mm-hmm. the whole time as I'm watching, it's like, Oh no, please, please. No, please. There's gotta be something sacred in this world. And thank the dear Lord and Jack Nicholson that we did not get that. That was the only saving grace. The best part of this movie is a thing that's not in it. <laughs> oh yeah, and that they could the ruin. That they could the ruin. They did get to represent Jack Torrance was almost comical. I yes. thought. <laughs> it, I would say it's a it's a pair in a weird way. I get it. Like Jack Nicholson's one of those like inimitable actors. Mm-hmm. But like this is like again, I'm not blaming the actor. I'm not whoever the actor is that did this. I'm not blaming him. But like it's borderline parody almost. Oh yeah, yeah. It 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 was like a uh, someone took a, uh, a caricature down on the beach and superimposed that face yes. onto this dude. <laughs> yeah, and that's where it was. And I'm like, okay, and again, I don't blame the actor. I don't blame him at all. Um, that sequence because that sequence is again shot almost identically to the Jack Torrance. Lloyd yeah. of the first time It's almost identical to that Between just the angles of the camera the, How the scene is lit But the third sequence that does this That drove me nuts Is that we have you and McDonald on the stairs And we have Woman the Hat coming up the stairs And it's the exact same thing mm-hmm. You and McDonald Is Shelley Duvall going up the stairs Saying stay back, stay back And Woman the Hat is walking up the stairs But at least I have to give them Minuscule credit because it at least doesn't end with him hitting woman the woman the hat. She hits, she takes his axe, like whacks him in the groin with it, which is weird, and then like like impales him with it and throws him like down the stairs. Yet he's a hundred percent okay. Yeah. Oh. Oh. God. So <laughs> that that's where I, I'm gonna I'm gonna. Uh... I'm going to disagree with you on the one point. I do not want to give the movie any credit for that <laughs> because literally as soon the scene starts where it's like Rose the Hat. Oh, my God. Rose the Hat is walking through the hotel. She sees the blood come out of the elevator. I'm ready to fucking start screaming in a public theater. And then she walks up to the she walks up to the to the lounge and she sees the typewriter and Danny and Abracadabra are standing on the stairs. Danny has the axe. And immediately I thought. Danny's going to be the one to fall down the stairs. And that's exactly what fucking happened. Oh, okay. like, you saw that coming. I didn't see that. Literally, coming. I this one of the reasons I that added to my distaste for this movie is I don't think every, every single thing was predictable to me. Like when the movie started and Force Ghost Scatman Crothers or Force Ghost <laughs> yes. Dick Halloran is like, we're going to do, okay, it's, it's, it's even rushed. The dialogue felt rushed to me. He's like, Danny, look at this box. Feel this box. You know this box? Make this box in your head. You're going to put the demons in the box. And I'm like, the demons are going to get unleashed from the box at the end. That's the story. Pictures in the book. You said there were just pictures in the book and they couldn't hurt me. Some things, dark things, the shining's like food, the overlook. It was always just pictures to me. But I didn't shine like you. 
Nobody shines like you. So you, in that damn hotel, you was like a million watt battery all plugged in, and it ate it up. World's a hungry place. And the darkest things are the hungriest, and they'll eat what shines. Swarming like mosquitoes or leeches. Can't do nothing about that. What you can do is turn what they come for against them. My grandfather, he was a mean son of a bitch. Dark inside, same type of dark as your dad. Beat me senseless, and my grandma too, and when he died I danced. But he kept on coming back. Standing in my room, suit all gray and stinking from whatever mold was growing on him in that box. So, grandma, she taught me a trick. Gave me a present. I want you to know this box, inside and out. Don't just look at it, touch it. Stick your nose inside, see if there's a smell. Why? Because you're gonna build one just like it in your mind, one even more special. So next time that bitch comes around, you'll be ready. Like every yep. single part of this movie felt so, like I said, homogenized to me. This just followed the beat of every single horror superhero movie, thriller. It was it was a rehash every step of the way through. Yeah, like this, like as time is going on. This feels like I know I've talked about it and we discussed Jurassic World, but this is like even more agreed. It's like that thing I say. It's the Jurassic Worldification, the Force Awakensification. Of cinema, where it's like we're gonna take the most popular elements, repackage them, and idiots will just consume it because they recognize it. Exactly. But but like I and I think everybody knows how much I hate Jurassic World. And yes, I have I still think it's awful, but I've kind of cooled on it. I've, I've exercised much of my demons thanks to the Cinematis conversation. But like this is Doctor Sleep is I'd say more egregious because at least Jurassic World stays away for the most part. From its more iconic elements, like only at the very, very end, you get the T Rex, like 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 roar, and yeah. you get brief sprinkling in of like the original Jurassic Park like facility. This entire film, all it's trying to do is like remember the Overlook, remember the music. Like mm -hmm. I, I, after a while, I couldn't count them all. Like out of nowhere, would start having that shining sound of wah, wah, like that kind of like mystic chanting, like of just like that sound effect. That's there. That's in numerous scenes in this movie that just happens. It's not explained. Like why? Why are we hearing that sound effect now? Yeah, I think I think there's like some there's like Zach said. There's many weird musical stings in this with the shining music. Like they felt they needed to include it. And I think one of them shows up like in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Danny gets off the bus and he starts talking to that dude Billy, which is going to be like his his teammate or his sidekick mm -hmm. for the most of the movie. And it's it's like. For some reason in this town in New Hampshire, they've built a miniature version of the town in the yes. town square. And Danny's like looking at it and the shining music starts. And yeah. I'm like, what? I'm like, why? This is just a this is just a kid's project. <laughs> I know. And, and that's why I mean, there's so many weird like like even how the film opens, 
like I'm not sure if Rob picked up on this, but like even the Warner oh, Brothers logo, the, I the Warner I, Brothers logo is the same one from the 1980s, like one. Yes. It's that very specific logo from that era. And it begins, and we hear like the walk, 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 and we have the overlook. And it's recreated, and I do have to say, like I saw that, I was getting mad again because I think we discussed it back in our Shining episode. I'm like, oh no, the room 237 door is going to open, and we have that, and I'm like, oh, it's a dream. I'm like, oh, thank God, it's a dream. At least, at least they're not <laughs> retelling the event. It's not like retroactively retelling the events of the first film. Like, at least there's some level of sacredness to that. And then, like, we, Danny's like, like, oh God, uh, not Shelley Duvall. It, but I have to give, okay, before I get into a little more of the scene, I do have to give not Shelley Duvall a little bit of credit because when I first saw her, I'm like. Oh, I'm like, that's not because she- I thought they were gonna do digitally DH Shelly Duvall. I didn't even think about that until like mm-hmm. in the theater, I'm like, oh no, we're gonna get Shelly a DH Shelly Duvall. But like the more we you know she's only in it very briefly, the Wendy character, that one shot where we have Danny sitting on the park bench when he's when he's younger and not Shelly Duvall comes out. When she does come out, she that whoever the actress is looks pretty close to Shelly Duvall, like in 1978 and 79. Like I got, I gotta give the actress credit because she did. She had the really goofy, frumpy '80s clothes, and they had her hair just right, and she did have that kind of like dazed look. And I'm like, you know what? Again, I know Rob doesn't want to give this movie any credit, <laughs> but I'll, I'll give again. I'll give, I'll give credit where credit is due. I'll, I'm go, get me wrong, folks. This film deserves to be crapped on every instance it deserves, but I will give credit for when I see it and for a couple scenes. Not Shelley Duvall, at least. The suspension of disbelief worked for a few moments. Okay, okay. I, I, I could uh, buy that. I could buy it for a couple of minutes here and there. I give her no credit on the appearance. <laughs> I was very upset with that. When I looked at her, I was... Uh, so the, the actress's name is Alex Esso. I don't really know her from anything else, but um, the appearance didn't work for me. But in that scene that you described where she runs out of the, the house or the whatever they are to Danny on the bench, that's the one scene where I felt the voice was nailed. I didn't even like the voice in the other scenes. It was that one instance where she's like, Danny, Danny, don't run away like that. Like she nailed yeah. it at that, that one instance. That's where I'll give her the credit. But I, I'm glad they used her sparingly. I like when it started with him as a kid talking to force ghost, Dick Halloran and, and his mother's there. And he's like locking up the, the witch or the, the uh, dead body, the rotting corpse in his bathroom. Uh, when that, the movie started that way, I was like, Oh God, is this going to be like, intercut the whole movie is going to be intercut of flashbacks and we're going to see her more and more and i'm going to hate it but i'm glad they left that alone you know because that would have made me even more angry yeah i'm surprised that like very early on he says like oh my mother died or something i'm like oh i'm like i, I was waiting for i was waiting for her to show up in this somehow i really yeah. was I'm like yeah i guess i guess the kids don't care about shelly duvall anymore um shame <laughs> <laughs> and she's the one person that could use a check uh, a paycheck so 
Go figure. Um, but no, but like going like going back to like the whole thing knows that like I, I don't know about you, Rob, but I always like we talked about it in our previous episode. Like when you think of the shining, like the first thing that comes to mind for at least me, and I think now that's no longer the case for most people, is here's Johnny. Mm-hmm. And yet, based on the one thing that we've we see the most of in this movie, it seems to be the only iconic piece of the 1980 film. Is the hag in the tub? Yeah, yeah, that's the thing that shows we, up the most, and we get that what, like six or seven or eight times in this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and again, I think this is part of uh, Stephen King's malevolence: is that okay? I'm going to take one of the most iconic parts of Kubrick's film, and I'm going to run it straight into the ground. Yep. I'm going to take the most what again I, again I don't think it's the most iconic but I guess to the normies it is and I'm just going to keep doing it over and over and over again until it just doesn't have any meaning anymore. Exactly. Cuz yeah, the film it's, ends it's with reused. that. The film ends with that. It makes no sense why the film ends with that, but it does. Yeah, yeah, I don't uh, Yeah, the end uh, yeah, the ending I didn't the ending also was predictable because, you know, Abra's talking to Danny and it's like, that's when I knew you were okay. And I was like, bullshit, he's dead. He's a force ghost. He's Obi-Wan Kenobi is a force ghost. Like, come on, fuck this movie. End, please. <laughs> and then and then the little girl's like, mom, everybody's okay after they die. And I'm like, even the bad people? And she's like, and your mom's okay and dad's okay. And fuck, everybody in our family's dead except us. <laughs> And then she's like, are you going to come to dinner, my weird supernatural daughter? And she goes, yeah, I got to just trap a monster in a box in my head first. <laughs> and I'm like, so what? What, 20 years from now, we're going to get another thing where it's just the same movie, but Abra's older and she's training, like, some other part, like a dog to use The Shining or something next? Like, The Shining 3, Air Bud Returns, you know? Like, get the fuck out of here. You know what the, the most, like, baffling part of that is? Why would Abracadabra see the Overlook ghost? Wouldn't it, shouldn't it be Woman the Hat that she sees in the tub? Wouldn't it make uh, more yeah. sense to have decaying Woman the Hat as opposed to a ghost that she never encountered? Yep, they, she should be chased by Abra should be being chased by all the specters of the members of the True Knot, the villains of this movie, because the villains of the first movie were chasing Danny because he spent so much time there. Now and then, like, she should be being chased by the villains of this movie. Like, it makes no sense. Like, it seems like the Overlook is just this anchor point in this story. And now that it, it even shouldn't be, now that it's destroyed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It does, again, again, it's, uh, it comes down to just, it's what people recognize. Yeah. It, it's, that, it's just that idiots will recognize the old hag in the tub. Idiots will not connect the decaying woman in the hat. Yeah, whatever. Um, but going back to my thing about this, this is the thing that kind of this is one of those parts. Like I said, there's the three scenes, and those are just the ones I could think off the top of my head: the um, the office scene, the the stairs scene, and the bar scene. Yet all these scenes were recreated perfectly. Like again, lighting, set design, yeah. shot the shots, the camera placement. Yet when Ewan McDonald, Abracadabra, and then later Woman the Hat walk into the Overlook. They got the lobby wrong. <laughs> the lobby is wrong. Because <laughs> like, you and McDonald goes into the Overlook and he like walks into the lobby and like the can't like it's so like the shot is very claustrophobic. There's not a lot yeah. of space around you and McDonald. And I'm like the Overlook, the 
the doors to the overlook. You remember that lobby from The Shining? We see it numerous times. Mm -hmm. All those chairs. It's, the it's the, wide the, open. The, uh, the desk the, for the uh, check-in desk. What in the like? Uh, you and McGregor walks in. He opens the door. And then just like a, like it's it's a few feet deep and the elevators are yep, right there. Yep. And I'm like, I'm like, what? I'm like, where is he? Yeah. It's and I'm like, like you're obviously it's Warner Brothers, so they own the rights to the set design. Like that's their mm -hmm. like intellectual property. Yet and they did everything else like one to one recreation. Yet they couldn't figure out the dimensions of the lobby. They couldn't figure out how to like, like I'm like, cause even at one point when you and McDonald, like think about the very last shot of the shining is the tracking shot to the, all the, like the pictures on the wall. And we zoom into the Jack Nicholson one, the, the, the ball, 1921, yep. those, all those picture frames are still there. I thought but, for sure that we were going to get a scene of Danny Torrance looking at that photo. I thought for sure that was, yeah, that's happen. what I thought. Because they do, because all the picture frames are there. But it's, again, it's it's almost like, it's funny. It's like a 50% smaller, like, lobby. Mm -hmm. It's like half the size, and I can't figure out why. Like, again, they did every, they got everything else down, but they couldn't get the lobby right. Yeah. Like, and that makes it all the more jarring. If you're going to copy everything else perfectly, the one thing you don't copy is going to stand out all the more. You create a contrast. And you highlight that imperfection all the more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that part, I'm like, I, I'm like I, I couldn't believe they got the lobby wrong. I'm like, I, I'm like, really? Of all the copying you're doing, you couldn't get that part right? Um, but no, but like, okay, go, going to my audience real quick, because I guess performance-wise, um, Ewan McDonald is fine. I don't think he's bad. He's, he's sleepwalking through this because it's not really any, and there's no, there's no meat on the roll. It's just, like, he really is Dr. Sleep. I can believe that because he's sleepwalking oh, yeah. through the roll. Yeah, I guess I guess I should say that you know I, I he's he's fine in this. It's I, I I was more angry at the content of the movie than pretty much everything else. <laughs> yeah, the, the actor I have to say the actors are all fine. I can't blame them because I think they're doing the best with what they're given. Mm -hmm. Um, like Abracadabra's fine. Like in all honesty, I like she kind of felt like a fresh of breath, uh, a breath of fresh air in this. Yeah, because it was it was nice to see the kid character actually have like the most control on the situation out of all the adults. <laughs> Definitely. And then this gets to my uh, my complaints with the woman the hat character. Um, the woman the hat character might be the dumbest villain in cinematic history. Oh yeah. Or, or at the very least, she's the most impotent villain in cinematic history because she's our big bad in this. Yet she really, other than murdering children with a group of like nine or ten other people. She has no power whatsoever, and she's more or less incompetent through everything she does in the film. Yeah, that, that's what I was kind of confused by, because, you know, I was expecting with ev ev how homogenized everything else was in this movie, like, I was expecting her to be, you know, like, a Thanos type, like, ten steps ahead of our good guys every single moment in the story. But it's like she learned shit as we learned it. It's like when, when we learn that Abra's, like, the strongest Shining user ever, she learns it. When we're like, and even at the end of the movie, there's the revelation that she's like, "Oh, Danny Torrance, how did we have? How have we never found you before?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, you can fly around the world and go into people's heads. How did it you find him, <laughs> Professor Xavier? Like, fuck you." <laughs> there's your pull quote for the box, folks. There's your pull quote for the box. 
All right, folks, at uh, 36 minutes, we can end this episode right now because no one's, there's nothing I can say. I don't think there's anything else Rob can do to top that. Um, yeah, that was, that was, that was profound, Rob. That was profound. We should, we should record in the mornings more often. Um, no, like that's, yes, exactly. Cause like, as I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, like we see her like, again, she, God, there's one sequence in the film where they wipe out her entire troop all at once in a gunfight. Like, you know, there's nothing quite like a spiritual spooky movie, like a gunfight in the middle. <laughs> yep. Well, I'm like, what the hell is this? And then like, they wipe out her entire troop and then like, oh, she's going to get them back. Cause they kill like her secondhand guy. And then she takes out two little canisters and hails them. And it has like Wolverine regenerative healing ability. Yep. And then like Danny, then like Danny, Lo- oh God, you and McDonald and Abracadabra go to the overlook. And he's like, Abracadabra, sit in the car with the heat on and watch and see if you see any lights. Honk the horn if you see them. Cause you'll see her coming from a mile away. Okay. And while woman, the hat is approaching, I figured, oh, there's going to be a sequence where she's going to like, they're going to have to lure her into the hotel because she's just so omnipotent. She's going to sense what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen. She just walks in. Yep. Cause yep. nothing she's happens. Just, she's just as lost as the audience is. It's, it's makes no sense. I, I, I do want to mention, cause you brought up the canisters when she like inhales it's a few times. Cause for some reason, she's the head of this true not group, which is never fully explained, but sure. And she is apparently the one who gets to dole out the canisters of steam, which is these people's food. And she is the only one who knows where they are or something. I implicitly gathered. But there's like two or three scenes where we see her open her cabinet in her trailer, which is where the steam is. And I'm like, that's not a good hiding spot. But <laughs> On, on like some of the canisters, there's like things on them. Like, did you notice on one of them, there's yeah. like a keychain with a rabbit's foot wrapped around it. That is a direct uh, connection to the stand. Oh. There's a character from the stand who has like these abilities and he carries around like keychain with a rabbit's foot. And I'm like, fuck you, Stephen King. This book takes place before the stand. How would she have killed the guy who's going to be in the stand? I hate it. I hate it. Zach. <laughs> I hate everything about it. <laughs> yeah well that's the thing too is i guess stephen king like really wants that like marvel cinematic universe yes. thing where yeah. like they can connect all of his movies i remember even like folks i saw the dark tower movie i it's a dumb movie but i enjoyed it for what it was and that movie is infinitely better than this like there's a scene of like matthew mcconaughey like in a uh Oh god! Imagine like 1960s NASA control room with like hairy dog people, and he's like barking orders at them. And I'm like, that's great. I'm like, that's all I need. Like, give me one. It's only in it for the movie for like 10 seconds, and that's it. I'm like, that's great. I'm like, you know what? Got my money's worth. And yet, there's not one like in a Stephen King adaptation. There's not one like memorable sequence in this movie. Like, there's mm-hmm. not like okay, maybe there is because I do want. There's one. Okay. There, oh talk- yeah, I think. Like I said, there's there's two things I liked about this movie. One was the fireman. I think the other is the one we're both going to enjoy. Zach. Okay, yes, because Cinematis, and it's I think it's the thing that I texted Rob right after I came out of the movie, <laughs> is that of course Jacob Tremblay can shine. Yes, yes. <laughs> as uh, as much as uh, as much as I hate him, when you get Jacob Tremblay fucking walking home unattended (laughs) along an endless road next to a (laughs) cornfield just to get kidnapped and tortured which we get to see we get to see him being tortured oh i was like i was like okay okay movie you won me over i 
teeny bit, and then it lost the ground immediately afterwards. <laughs> yeah, that that part. I'm like, again, it's like cause I I I forget. I read something that Jake. I think I remember him reading a story like a year or two ago that he was cast in this. And it's like, of course, he's Jacob Tremblay. He gets cast in everything now. Mm-hmm. And then, like, when I saw him in the movie, I'm like, God damn, I knew Jacob Tremblay could shine. I'm like, where's Naomi Watts? Like, should she that's, be watching him? So that's my theory about why he was walking home alone. Naomi Watts couldn't pick him up from his baseball game because she was out also kidnapping other children. Because remember my whole theory about how <laughs> oh, she's yeah. going? Maybe she's part of a true knot. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe. Okay. <laughs> But yes, Jacob Tremblay is like a baseball, like a little league player, and he knows what the pitcher's going to do. Number 19, the, which they harp on so much. I'm like, why? Why does this matter? That's probably something tied to some other stupid Stephen yeah. King thing, I imagine. Yeah, that, that's that's probably true. Nothing's jumped out to me, but like there were so many instances where they were like, number 19, number 19, number 19. Even when he was the only child on screen and he was being tortured, the guy with the glove is like, number 19. And I'm like, just just kill him. Just murder him. Like, stop talking about him. <laughs> yeah. And Nike Robson, it, it's genuinely comical. We have like this. And it's also Jacob Tremblay's getting older because he's not like perpetually six years old anymore looking. He now kind of looks like he's like 10. And so you have like this awkward thing, a 10 year old walking alone along a deserted road, like Rob described. And like, he just came from like a little league game with like dozens of parents. And so and, he's like, this- in baseball uniform with a glove walking next to a cornfield and the only thing i'm thinking to myself is if you build it they will come <laughs> and i'm like this what what is this movie <laughs> yeah and it's like but why it's like, again it, he's on a team it's 2019 in the movie like it's not like he's like 1960 like in the movie it's like one parent would offer him a ride no Especially parent. since he's the star player of the team, as it's established. Yes. And I'm like, what is... Because I, I didn't realize, too, I'm like, why don't they have the woman that can, like, control dudes' minds? Like, that'd be a perfect one. Be like, have her come over. Like, be like, hey, kid. Like, I don't know, somebody... Like, you have, like, the guy... I don't know, one of the weird-looking people. Be like, maybe the guy that looks like the sunglasses or what? Mouse from The Matrix. And you have oh, him sure. be like, hey, kid, like, we got, like, drugs. Do you want some drugs or something? We got be, steroids. Like, yeah, and you really <laughs> up your game. <laughs> and Jacob Trump like, no thanks. And then like the girl will be like, hey honey, come follow me. I'm like, oh, tied into like her ability that we like spent 15 minutes highlighting in the first act. And it's like, nope, we have like a 10 year old kid like walking alongside like like a cornfield in the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, okay. And they bring him to like what? And like a uh, oh god, ethanol plant. Yeah, it's some some like uh, closed down power plant because they write it down in the movie something something. Because Abracadabra has a, a force vision, yeah, she does. which leads them there. And yeah, and then they take him to this abandoned factory and they, they throw him on the ground. They tie him up and Jacob Tremblay's doing, you know, his, his usual Jacob Tremblay. And he's like, don't hurt me. Please, please don't hurt me. And she's like, we're going to hurt you. And I'm like, yes. Kid, you were good. No! <laughs> no, please let me go. I won't tell anyone. 
too, so you understand. Yeah, I, I, uh, taking away Rob's cynicism part of it, um, his wish fulfillment or his screen fulfillment of watching this Jacob Tremblay die like, in pain. Yeah, this is like when we did um, Terminator Genesis, and what's his name got to tell Amelia Clark she had the voice like a like a shrill cow or something like that. Like I, I, you know, someone got to beat up and torture Jacob Tremblay on screen. Like there's some people I don't like in Hollywood. <laughs> As Rob's made abundantly clear. But no, like in all honesty, again, giving credit where credit is due. I thought that scene was effective. I'm like, considering this is a two and a half hour long, scary movie. Um, you know what? It worked. I thought it, it's something I'd never seen before in such detail in a mainstream film. We don't really get like considering that modern day horror now is the conjuring where mm-hmm. all we do is put Vera Famiga and Patrick Wilson in a dark room and just sh- turn the light off and on for fifth, like two and a half hours. Yep. Um, in all honesty, getting a horror movie where a child's in danger and being mutilated as a horror movie. Scene, yeah. You know what? Credit where credit is due. I'll give that's credit. A, that's a good point. I didn't think about it that way, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, or not, I'm sure I know these days, like, it's the things you don't you don't do on screen. You don't kill a dog and you don't kill kids because people get turned off by it. And this movie did it. So yeah, yeah that was, that is a good point. Maybe if the villains were actually good villains, that would have added to it. But then they just continue to bumble around like fools. I was about to say that considering that we get what about thirty seconds of horror in a horror movie, I'm like, you know what, film? Like, you know what, credit where credit is due, but nowhere near enough as you should. Like, maybe if we saw that happen, like the very beginning of the movie, we do that to the little girl with the flower. I'm like, oh, that'd be, you know what, get everybody's attention. You go, you, you hit us. It's kind of like uh, the beginning of Jaws. We see the woman get sucked down under the water in the first like what three minutes of the film. Yeah, yeah. Start off strong. This keeps showing how vile and like horrible these these characters are. And it's like, no, we're just told we're just told that they're horrible. That's the thing too. I hate movies. It's called show, not tell. And all yes. we do is get you and McDonald being like, abracadabra, these people are bad. Don't, don't, don't entice them. And then we get another scene where it's like abracadabra's like, these people do horrible things, Daddy. It's like, show us. It's a two and a half hour long movie. Mm-hmm. We don't need to see like four or five Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. We <laughs> don't need this. Like, and that's another thing, too. Like, my mother was telling me that, like, in the book, when he's in the hospice home, that's, like, a huge chunk of the movie. And that's where the title of the, the thing comes from. They mm-hmm. call him Dr. Sleep because with his ability, he helps these people relax and pass on to the netherworld. And it's like, oh. And yet, other than literally one scene, it's – or maybe, okay, one and a half scenes maybe. Yeah. It's never shown that why he's called Dr. Sleep. Yep, that is such a tiny part. I even knew that because I looking into the book when it came out, I still haven't read Doctor Sleep, but it like looking into it, it's like that's that's what the point of the book is, is him like going from the alcoholism into the how can he use his shining for good and then the stuff about saving the child comes up. Yeah. And that's we're and here, it's, like, it's an afterthought. Well, that's the that's the thing about this movie that I really can't figure out. Is that like who like what is the story here? Like I'm, I think it's because I when I read The Shining in the last couple of days, it was a, a republication of the book from I think 2012. So it, like it includes like I think a few chapters from Doctor Sleep, but it was published before the book was officially released. Okay, and there's like there's like a little bit of like a, a epilogue. Uh, by Stephen King and he's like I've always wondered what Danny like what would happen to Danny after the events of The Shining like father like son they always say and that's kind of mm-hmm. it and it's like oh read the next three chapters uh, from <laughs> Dr. Sleep 
And I'm like, okay. And that's what Dr. Sleep is. Dr. Sleep is, I don't want to say primarily focused on Danny, but he is a much more central character other than being the Obi-Wan Kenobi to Abracadabra's Luke Skywalker. He does have more of a focal point there. And that's what I mean. Like, what is what is the point of this film? What is the plot? It's just okay. Bad people after Abracadabra, and Danny has to protect her. And the yeah, looks there for some reason. Like, this I, is the bare minimum kind of superhero movie where you yeah. know it, it's it's kind of like we have an origin story for Abra, and we have the redemption arc for Danny. Even though like his low point comes at the start of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, it it is just like. Okay, I want to get into this now because there's a few scenes I want to highlight, but overall, I, I have – I don't think this is a hot take. This is just something that I, I thought of while I was watching this movie, and I was able to look into it, and I think I've solidified it now. So in this movie, we have all these different people that can use the shining, that can shine, or steam. The good guys call it shining, the bad guys call it steam, whatever the fuck. It's the force, basically, because you could do everything with it. So – in this movie, when people are talking to other Shining users, they say things like, like Rose the Hat says to, which we'll have to get into more, the character I called de-aged Brie Larson. <laughs> so Snake oh, Bite yeah. Andy. Yeah, we'll get to that. I have a lot to say about that, but we'll get. So when, she's, when Rose the Hat is talking to de-aged Brie Larson, she's like, you're a, you're a pusher. Like, you have the power of suggestion. We haven't had a pusher around here in a while. We got this dude who's a watcher and, or a, a, a looker and can find people. I'm this watcher that can see things. This is the fucking movie Push. Did you ever see Push with Chris Evans from 2009? In Dakota Fanning? Yes. This is the yeah. same movie. Everybody, there's watchers, there's movers, there's pushers, there's shifters, and they're all fighting each other. This is the same goddamn movie. Everybody has a power that manifests in a slightly different way, and then two people just have to fight each other to save the day. This is the same fucking movie that came out even before the fucking Dr. Sleep novel was released. This is insane to me. This is just cookie-cutter, superhero, X-Men, Star Wars nonsense. Yeah, and that's because it's funny. Like in some of the stuff I was reading online, the critics are calling this like, "Oh, it's a it's a superhero. It's the first superhero horror film." And it's like, <laughs> okay, okay, like, jump scares do not a horror film make. Well, okay, it's funny. This is a horror film in name only because yeah, there isn't definitely. anything spooky about this. Like it's it's much more. I, I, I guess in a weird way, there has to be a new subgenre created. Where it's the it's the Force Awakens, Jurassic World, and there's there's a bunch of other examples. It's uh, like Creed with Rocky, um, the Creed movie. I mean, with uh, Michael B. Jordan. Where mm-hmm. it's I guess it's the it's the subgenre of a blockbuster called the soft reboot. Yeah, that's I, I don't I, that's the I don't think that's maybe the perfect name for it. But that's what this is. This is a whole new genre of blockbuster filmmaking called filmmaking called the soft reboot, where we take a bunch of familiar elements, tweak some things here and there, just different enough that idiots. Will recognize it, but not change enough that they will be they'll be turned off by it, and that's what it is. Because like it, it doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. Not like not in there's the nothing, slightest. There's nothing original about this movie. There's literally nothing novel about its premise or any of the events yeah. that transpire. I think that that's really like the biggest reason why I hate it so much because, you know, I, I say it with stuff that I even like. I hate just rehashes. I want something new. I want something fresh. And there is nothing new or fresh in this film. 
And that's the thing is that like, again, I, I guess I'm a little bit more, I have the uh, producer side of my brain where I'm at least a little bit more forgiving of that. Or at least I understand, I, I can always, again, like Mike Flanagan, I'm the director of this. He comes across as a, a Brett, from what I saw, like one interview with him, he comes across as a Brett Ratner or a J.J. Abrams where it's like, I'm going to do whatever the producers tell me to do. Like oh, I, I, I don't have a vision. I am simply hired by the producers to translate their vision. And by producers, I mean the studio as best as I can. My so job is a, to make everybody happy. He's a marionette. Pretty much. And Somebody that's pulls the strings and controls them. Yep. Exactly. And I don't, again, a lot of people don't, like, a lot of people in Hollywood don't have visions because people with visions usually get punished. People who have ideas get told, no, look what's happening to Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese. And I'm not even defending them. Neither one of them made a particularly, uh, really resonating film in a while. But at least they're pointing out saying, like, folks, like, we know you like these stupid, like, superhero cape movie people, but mm -hmm. it's not cinema. It's junk food cinema. Like, you're not going to remember like, the same way. Nobody remembers this stuff five minutes after it's out because the next big thing is out. None of this stuff has staying power. Exactly. Like, like, like art is supposed to have staying power and the stuff that you like doesn't. So it, it disqualifies it as art. No one's saying you can't like it, but it's not. Like, you're not going to remember Avengers Endgame when Avengers 5 comes out because it's the design. Avengers at five is going to be designed so you forget about about the fourth one. That's just what this is, and I think that's also part of the malevolent uh, connivery of Stephen King. He mm -hmm. knew when they did this that it's there. It was designed to try to wash the shining away. He did that on purpose. And I saw, an, and again, part of the same interview I saw with uh, Mike Flanagan. Stephen King is sitting right next to him. And good Lord, Stephen King looks horrible. And he actually, maybe I'll be able to insert the clip of it. <laughs> Stephen King actually says the quote, it's a perfect follow-up to the Kubrick film. Mike's movie stands on its own, but it's also a terrific sequel to Stanley Kubrick's film. Fuck. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, that, and I'm, I'm like, well, there it is. I would imagine if Stephen King, I, I can't imagine Stephen King was on set every day. He probably wouldn't want to be on set. But I would imagine that when Warner Brothers licensed the film rights for Dr. Sleep, he probably said there's probably some sort of clause in there, probably very similar to what like J.K. Rowling has, where most of your major ideas have to come across my desk. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and I think going back to that ending, of the film, the fact that the 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 Doctor Sleep film ends almost identically to how the novelization of The Shining ends. I probably think uh, King's biggest problem with the original 1980 film was the ending. You yeah, probably got so much because even at the end, you and McDonald gets possessed by the hotel, and even how I, I was shocked how it ends because the very ending of it of the the novel is. Uh, Jack Torrance confronting Kid Danny, and they have a conversation in the hallway, and that's how this ends. J mm -hmm. uh, da Danny Torrance confronts Abracadabra, and they have a conversation, and she even goes, "I had it, I had it figured out all along. You forgot about the boiler overlook hotel." He goes, "Oh no!" and he goes racing down there, and that's how the novel ends. And I'm like, "Why on earth would you end the Doctor Sleep adaptation with the ending from the previous book?" I, I would take it as Stephen King is like we've now that this has happened, he's undone the horrors, according to him, of the Kubrick film. He's made it complete. He's gone full circle. And I would bet you anything that he's got second or third proof ready for The Shining Part 3. I don't think I don't know, though, about that. I think he got what he wanted. 
He's going I, I, That's the thing about those that, Like it's kind of like Oh god Like it's almost like A uh, a Batman villain It's like uh, The the locate The person wronged him He blew up their house He won <laughs> like, like, like if you destroy your opponent It's kind of like That's what it is Like I, in a weird way Stephen King is kind of like A Batman villain In regards to the 1980 film All he wants All he wants is his vengeance And I think he's gonna get it I think because yeah. as we're recording this, most ninety nine point nine percent of the population has not seen this film. So a lot of what we're doing is inferring based on the very few people who saw it early, like we did. But I, I, I do think that I think he's going to be when he sees the reaction, considering that Stephen King's on Twitter numerous times a day complaining about how awful Trump is. I imagine he's going to be following the hashtag very closely next weekend or this upcoming Definitely. weekend. Definitely, and that's and he's going to be very happy. He's going to be sitting in his office somewhere stroking himself. It's like whether that be figuratively or literally, I would imagine he's going to be very pleased with himself come the the weekend, the Monday afterwards. Yeah, I I think so. I think so. Yeah, but uh, it's uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. So we we've brought it up a few times, but we didn't talk about it in full detail. I uh, the the intro scene, so with Rose the Hat and them like uh, attacking the little girl at the start. So the intro is to, you know, we have villains in this film. Um, So this scene is, you know, the little girl wanders off into the woods, just, you know, duh. And she finds Rose the Hat. They have a conversation. And then Rose the Hat, like, grabs a little kid. And all the members of the bad guys come in. And there's that overhead shot of, like, them swarming this little girl. This was the, this was this to me, this was this like a ripoff of the opening to uh what is it Jurassic Park 2 with all the tiny dinosaurs oh, yeah. enveloping the little girl when she like starts to play with one of them I like everything from the start I was like come on is there anything original to this movie No <laughs> No it's not. It really isn't. I, I, it's funny when you brought. The, I, it's funny you mentioned that. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because when I was watching it, I'm like, oh, I've seen this before. The idea of a bunch of people circling somebody in the middle of the woods. Mm-hmm. It's like that's that's not new. That's not anything like. And again, folks, I'm not expecting them to reinvent the wheel here, but like you couldn't imagine that sequence a little bit differently. I I would doubt that happened exactly one to one in the novel. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. It, it, that, and that's the thing, you know, like you said, yeah, we weren't expecting something to break form and, and be this grand new thing, but don't make it such a, like, every scene, every idea is just a rehash of stuff that we've been complaining about, I think, since Cinemodities started. Yeah. It's just the idea that, like, I, I don't know, like, you're making, like, if you're Mike Flanagan, that's where I think he is more of a corporate stooge than any sort of visionary filmmaker, is that just like, oh, if I get hired to do this film, and I do exactly, it's kind of like, like, oh, God, I, I haven't seen a lot lately, but, like, well, you'll read, like, entertainment trade news stories on, like, things being like, oh, the writer, the co-writer of the Green Lantern film got hired to uh, write the so-and-so big block, big project film. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, why that person get hired? Like, they're not very good. And, and, out, and Hollywood doesn't judge people based on how their projects do. They judge everybody based on how well they get along with one another. Exactly. It's like what just happened recently with Star Wars with the uh, – I was about to say Dungeons and Dragons people. The Game of Thrones guys left. I think it's a lot of it. Just it doesn't matter how good of a final product you make. It's just that as long as there weren't any speed bumps in the production. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I think I, I remember reading somewhere about like Guillermo del Toro. Like you look at Guillermo del Toro's like box office record. Um, like like most of his films are not like successful, but he'll always find work in Hollywood because he always comes in under budget and under schedule. Okay, because that's what he does. Like and that's what it is. Like as long as you follow the rules of Hollywood, they don't care what happens to your final product. And I think that's what it is with Mike Flanagan. Is that like he did not have a, if he did have a vision for this, he got told no and just said okay. Because, like, as I'm watching this, being like, I can't imagine the Doctor Sleep novel being as dry and just mundane as the film is. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't expect it to either. But uh, like, I don't think Stephen uh, King is this like master author, but he's not. Like, he's very. Like, that's one thing I learned from The Shining. The Shining being the first Stephen King novel I've ever read. Like, he's very repetitive, and he just drones on and on to details. Like, I'm reading The Shining, and it's like, okay, Jack Torrance has to do this thing, and then. Shelley Duvall has uh, Wendy has to talk about it Then Danny has to talk about it So we get the exact same story told the exact same way Three different times mm-hmm. And that happens just over and over again Again, King, There's a lot of padding in, from what I can tell In Steve's work, uh, Stephen King's works And yet you'd think Oh we're making a film so we have to Condense things from like a 900 page novel And then adapt things For the screen and It seems like they either ignored the things that need to be changed for the screen, and if anything else, just enhanced the stupidness of them all. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> because that's the thing, because there's so many sequences in this being like like even the uh the the overlook, when we go back to the overlook in the third act, like like it made me angry because like it's the ex- and, oh god, it makes me so god. It makes me angry thinking about it. That like they're at the gas station in Abracadabra and uh, whatever his name, you and McDonald are sitting there. She's like, "Where are we going?" And he's like, "Somewhere where uh, something, something." And then like we yeah, cut so, to well, the, he says something like, "It's somewhere where it's dangerous for people like us." Yeah. And then the very next, and, like they get into a car and drive away. And the very next thing is blonk, blonk, blonk. And the it's the it's a one to one shot of one to one exact shot of the opening to the shining of the camera flying over the lake with the same little plot of land in the, in the midst of all the water as mm-hmm. we see the car winding along the road and i'm like a you did this in a computer it looks fake as hell yeah they tried to darken it up to hide some of how bad it looked <laughs> yeah and i'm like this yeah, again you're again obviously that lake does not look identically to how it looked i, I would imagine it looks very similar to how it looked 40 years ago but it doesn't look identical because that's just how nature is nature is constantly changing mm-hmm. and i'm like but it's so like you're trying to do the same thing but it's stupider i think i joked about it in the jurassic world discussion i'm like what was his what's his name the guy nathan for you to dumb starbucks that's oh yeah what, that's what this is instead of dr sleep <laughs> this should have been called dumb the shining yeah, The and, Shining for Dummies. Yep, <laughs> and it's like, and it's funny. Like, like, you know, how cool it was hearing that that soundtrack on a theater system. Like, like I've never been able to see that. Like, the greatest extent of me hearing The Shining soundtrack is on my little TV and having like a three piece like speaker system. And even though that's it's better than watching it like on an iPhone, it's still like hearing that music in a theater is great. But then it's ruined by crappy visuals. They're trying to do a piss poor imitation of something that's truly inimitable. Like you yep. cannot copy it. And I'm Absolutely. like, why are you doing this? And then even like in the music is still swelling. And that part is great. 
And then you get the shot of the overlook And it's, and it's a really neat visual You have the overlook, it's all dark And you have it silhouetted by the uh, the mountains in the background I'm like, this would be great in any other film Except the fact that it's stupid like you, like you, you, you're doing. Like all the pieces are there, except they, like you made a puzzle in the worst way possible. Yep, exactly. Like that, you know how cool it is. Like, like, like on paper, you know how cool it is watching a forty-year-old ja- uh, Danny Torrance go. Like, imagine like you're somebody in like 1999, and you're like, and you hear like, okay, twenty years from now, they're going to make a follow-up to The Shining, where you see. Danny Torrance go back into the hotel that's been derelict for like 40 years while the music plays. Both she'd be like, oh, that sounds great. Yep. Yet you're watching it and there's this bittersweet quality of like, I should be loving this. Yeah, I'm hating it because everything that's surrounding it is pure and utter garbage. Absolutely. Yeah. The recreation of those scenes, like the I'm doing the heaviest air quotes, the homage to those iconic scenes, like none of it works. None of it's necessary. But that's but the problem though is that like that's the selling point of this film. Yeah. That was the marketing. Like like in every single piece of marketing for this film, it's Danny Torrance walking into the overlook and then him looking through the door hole that Jack hits. That mm-hmm. is an, that's the poster. The poster is like him doing that. And I'm like, you have like that's it. like most movies, like there's those you know how many movies there are that are great, yet they don't have a hook. So they get overlooked by people, by the masses. This film has a perfect hook. Yet it has no substance to it. Yeah. Vacuous. Totally vacuous. And it's a two and a half hour movie of vacuous. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's the shocking part is that you have two and a half hours to do anything you want. Yet you couldn't figure it out. And you have one in the process. You have one of the greatest hooks in cinematic history. Yes. Squandered for sure. Like it, it, we look at horror movies, and ho- horror movies are one of the most commoditized like properties in Hollywood because they're the easiest to make sequels full uh, for. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about it in Halloween, we talked about it in Jason Goes to Hell. The Shining is one of those very few properties, probably one of the very only properties that is like held in one of the highest regards, not just in the horror genre, but in the annals of cinema in general. That never had anything to come after it to taint it. And yet they've had 40 years to work on a sequel to The Shining. And they couldn't do it. 40 years. I'm going to be depressed all day. It is. Like, I, was, <laughs> I, I am mad about this. Like, yeah, as absolutely. I, like I said, as I was watching The Shining the night after... God, a day and a half ago, the night after watching Doctor Sleep, I almost started to tear up being like... He's ruining it. Like it's kind of like it's. And we'll get more into this. This will be the hallmark of the uh, Knights of Vader, Terminator, Dark Fate episode. But like, I honestly, for the first time in my life, feel like the people that watch the prequels and say this ruined my childhood. And even though, yes, Doctor Sleep does not retroactively ruin The Shining. If anything, it makes The Shining shine even brighter. <laughs> yeah, the pun. But it's the idea that like. Going forward in history, there will be idiots out there that are going to tie this film, Dr. Sleep to The Shining, and like we joked in The Shining episode, there are probably probably going to be people out there that think Dr. Sleep is a better film than The Shining. Oh, yeah. I could, he, I'm seeing it coming now, you know, when I tell people how much I hate this. 
like we'll get into it later on in the discussion because I did go through Twitter and I bookmarked a bunch of the responses, but there are some of those in there that say at least this film isn't as slow and boring as the 1980 film is. Oh God! Exactly, exactly, and that's that's the thing that taints it, and that and that's just mind blowing. I think these are the same people, the people who say, you know, this is this isn't as boring as the original Shining. These are the same people who are probably like, yeah, I've only seen the original Shining once and fell asleep 40 minutes into it. So it's boring to me. It's a bad movie. Mm -hmm. It's the people that say all black and white movies are bad. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Same deal. Yeah. But going back to like the the ending sequence of the Overlook. And again, uh, uh, we kind of touched upon it previously, but. We're going back to the Overlook 40 years after the events that transpired there in the 1980 film. Yet the hotel looks like it's been empty for maybe a couple of years tops. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's just kind of it's just enough in disarray to make it look like it's old. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I, I guess I've always been to like urban exploring pictures and stuff. So like I know what it looks like when a building's been left in a state of disrepair for 40 years. Heck, I live I, for peek behind the curtain. I live next to a house that's been more or less empty for five years. And you should see the hell that's happening to that house in five years. Yeah, I'm even thinking like, you know, up there in, in Colorado where this takes place in the mountains like it, it will get warm in the summer. Some of that snow will melt. You know how water damaged that place would be. Yep, the it roof would have given in by exactly. Yeah, like they're, they're like most of the wings should have been gone and and demolished by nature. And that's what my complaint is: is that like, and forget about some of the plot elements. I know, like the, the weird things. I love how he goes into the hotel. It's more or less. Almost like I, I don't know. Maybe if this is what they were going for. Maybe the idea that like it's frozen in time. I know that's a big, that's a big, I'm not, they never even hint at it in Dr. Sleep. I know it's a big part of the Shining 1980 mm. film, but the idea of the hotel being frozen in time, I would get that, but he walks in and he's somehow able to light the boiler. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Fuck. <laughs> like the oil would have evaporated. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. In 40 years, so much of the inner workings of boilers and stuff like that would have, like Zach said, either evaporated, solidified, leaked away from degrade degradation. There's no way that's starting up. And and but I feel like the movie is just like we can guise it by having one line where, you know, Danny says, I need to wake the hotel up. And I'm like, fuck you. But like, but that's, but this is the, like the catch 22, but like, it's a catch 22. It's again, they painted themselves into a corner that they could have very easily painted their themselves out of. Is that like, okay, why does Danny need to turn the boiler on? Even though that makes no sense. Oh, because the film needs to end with the hotel blowing up. Yep. And it's like, oh, but why does the hotel need to blow up? Because Stephen King insists on having the ending that Kubrick scrapped be in this. Mm-hmm. And it's, well, wouldn't it make more sense that, because very earlier in the film, when we have Force Ghost Scatman Crothers, he says, oh, because I think uh, Baby Danny says, like, Scatman Crothers, you said it was just like pictures. They couldn't hurt me. And yep. he's, like, well, he's like, well, Doc, I'm sorry. I didn't know I was bringing a 100-watt battery into the place. Yeah, and, and it's like, oh, so wouldn't it make more sense that instead of Danny turning on the physical, like he actually flips on physical switches at one point, which I thought was hysterical. I started laughing. Anytime I see physical, <laughs> like, like dials or switches in the film, I start laughing hysterically. Yeah, he's turning um, knobs and stuff. And <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, yeah, oh yeah. It, it's 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 goofy. I love it, but it's so goofy. Um, but like, wouldn't it make more sense that we just see like 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 uh, Force Ghost Scatman Crother says? Wouldn't it be much more visually interesting to have Danny have to walk throughout the hotel and he's the one that's causing it to awaken, not? Mm-hmm. Actual physical matter that's doing it Like (laughs) even though they do do that They have him walking through the hotels all the bulbs Start to blink on stuff and that That's neat cool whatever Again, they, they need their nostalgia. I'm not going to forsake them for that. They need their nostalgia. That's the world we live in. Not going to forsake them based on what people like. And but wouldn't that make more sense though? But then going back to my the point I brought up, like oh you need, but how do you have the boiler blow up if if you. you Without him turning it on And it's like well you don't need the boiler blowing up Create a new ending Have something else happen where Danny goes all I don't know Neo from the Matrix Revolutions That he he shines himself out And that's his brightness is what wipes all these things out Because even how the How they defeat Woman the Hat Like that was the most Because I can Okay, before I get ahead of myself, <laughs> as I was watching the film, and numerous points in this where my brain was forced to turn itself off because nothing was happening or just stupid stuff was happening, I kept trying to think, like, oh, how are they going to end this? How are they going to make this like an Avengers Endgame level type ending where you bring you bring the hotel back? Exactly. And I'm like, oh, think of all the weird crap you can do. By going back to the Overlook Hotel, I'm like think of all the, I think of all the crazy, cool, macabre ideas you could do by going back to the the Overlook Hotel and using that plot thread to defeat our villain, Woman the Hat. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, think of all the weird crap you could do. You could sit there have like. Again, I'm just thinking off the top of my head right now, but you could have all these specters. You could have all this stuff going on, yet. They defeat Woman the Hat by having all the ghosts of the Overlook tackle her. That that might have been my least favorite thing in this movie. When, because like I said at the start, I knew it was going to happen that all those boxes in Danny's head were going to get opened and they were going to come and you know fight. But I thought that was going to happen like in the hedge maze in Danny's mind because we get that scene mm-hmm. where yep. where Rose is like choking Abra and then she's like, wait. We're not in your dream. We're in six dream levels down. And <laughs> and did this dude dissolve his father's oil company yet? And they they avoid the boxes and they leave the brain. But then somehow he's, she still opens the boxes out of Danny's head. But they're manifested in the real world. And we get that shot of of you know the of what Delmer Great uh, Delmer Grady the twins the butler uh, the Lloyd the bartender the guy who says great party. And they're all hovering over her like they're going to attack her. I'm like, this is so stupid. They, the I'm film, like, this is terrible. The film literally ends with a bunch of ghosts physically, physically dogpiling the villain. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I do. Like, I do what is there this? was. I think there was one visual, a quick visual where like the butler or Delmer Grady like puts his hand under her skin yeah. on her face mm-hmm. yep. and i was like oh wow there might actually be some horror in this horror movie but it cuts like immediately <laughs> but the problem is that like when that happens though i don't know what because again that sequence like again that was probably why like i really kind of just gave up on the film at that point it was like you know what yeah. like you had you had your shot you blew it um because this is this is where the imagination should be. This is where this, everything, much like the ending of the 1980 film, like when all those boxes open up, which like Rob said, it's a fate, from the very first moment we see that happen, like in the first like 15 minutes of the film, it's a fait accompli that's going to happen by the end. So like you are, you know that's coming, but it's like when that happens, 
all hell should be breaking loose in the hotel. Like you should, yeah. like it should be imagination. Like someone, like it should be like a horror mind's imagination exploding, where you have all hell breaking loose. Like the walls start crumbling, or even like not even just that. That's too easy. But you have all like you like every at that moment when he opens up all of his boxes, every single door in the hotel should have flung open, and all these much like think of a cabin in the woods. You know, in the cabin in the yeah. woods where they're in, they're in that like what the lobby and like and all the doors open all at once you have all these different creatures and just entities come out like mm-hmm. spill out that's what should have happened oh all you're the so do- right all these there should be it should have been in like an avengers endgame level like battle of like all these things going on and you have all these forces going on at once fighting woman the hat and 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 to also give woman the hat some I don't know cr- I don't know uh, build her up a little bit and not make her so disposable she should be able to at least hold them back a little bit and it's not until Danny and Abracadabra get involved that then they turn the tide like wouldn't that be a great sequence that you have every single room of the hotel which is what I forget what Ullman says there's like how many like there's does like there's what hundred rooms plus yeah, and they yeah. every single one of them has their own specter demon. Paranormal thing that comes out of them And yet mm-hmm. woman the hat is able to hold them All off and it's not Till the two of them get Involved and then even to, to Kind of raise the dramatic dramatic stakes Even further and sprinkle in nostalgia It's not until Jack Torrance Shows up that then like I don't know, Maybe he decapitates her I don't know what the act you do something Again, again yeah. fan service is not A bad thing It's not it's only bad when you have People with no imagination doing it like wouldn't exactly. that have been great? You have all you have hundreds of specters attacking woman the hat. You get Danny and Abracadabra, and then the final blow is Jack Torrance shows up, and he ha- and we have him in his corduroy jacket, his jeans, and he has the axe and goes, "Here's Johnny," and he's and he and he decapitates her. Wouldn't that have been great? And that's one of those a genuine. Yeah, woo! That's been one of those like earned moments where mm-hmm. you have your fan service, but it, it, it's a it's a climax. There's no climax in this movie because all the ghosts attack Woman the Hat, and for some reason, all the ghosts look very like plasticky CGI. Yeah, big time. Even the little girls and and the the non like well, the only one that doesn't look like uh, the only specter is the. Uh, the hag from the tub. She's the yeah. only one that looks that looks like a specter. All the rest looks like normal people. But they all look plasticky and CGI. And then once they kill Woman the Hat, they turn on to Abracadabra and Danny. And then Danny becomes Jack Torrance for some reason. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He doesn't become Jack Torrance for any other reason than just the film says he has to become Jack Torrance. <laughs> exactly. And, and then they make you and McDonald do the hunched over Abra mm-hmm. as he's like chasing her. And he has like this weird, like they, they, like, they digitally like affected his face. They have his, like one of his eyes is like frosted over. And then the other one is like, I, I, I'm like, what the hell is happening? Like he's physically bleeding out. Like she stabbed him. Like I forgot like, the carotid artery. She says that. Yeah. Like, oh he, my like, God. He should, I... he should like his bleeding stopped all of a sudden. Apparently, the Overlook yeah. can stop bleeding all of a sudden. They have that. They can actually control <laughs> life and death. They can stop people from dying at the Overlook. It's like, what is going on? Like, you're changing in the last 15 minutes of your film, you are changing the rules of the world. And it's like, what is going on? Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you bring that up because that was something I definitely had issue with because. Like you said, there's a line of dialogue. Uh, Rose the Hat hits uh, J- uh, Danny in the 
thigh with the axe, and he ble- he's bleeding like crazy, and she goes, oh, I nicked your femoral artery, and I'm like, so he's dead. He's dead in like five to seven minutes. Yeah. That's that's literally what that means. And he doesn't even become the hotel or embodied by the hotel it, for like 15 minutes. So, and he yeah, only I, dies I, I, because you know he only dies because the the boiler again. The boiler right. explodes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that I was like really. I was like you could have you could have just not included that line and made it a, a regular flesh wound. Like you didn't need to give us the death sentence that that line implies. Yeah, and I think in a weird way by giving that that sentence, you take the ambiguity out of it, make it ambiguous. Yes. It's, instead of like again, because if the boiler doesn't blow up, he bled out. It's six to one half dozen the other. He's dead by the end the end of the film, and I'm pretty sure by the end of Doctor Sleep the novel, he doesn't die. Oh, right? okay, okay. That's my mother. I, I remember. I remember my mother saying that. Saying like, he doesn't die in the book. Okay, okay. I'm not sure, but interesting. There's so many like wild like that's another one of these weird things. It's like. They are so emboldened to the source material, slavishly so, yet there's so many inconsistencies that it's baffling. I, like I it, agree. Like, in a weird way, maybe this is the perfect follow-up to The Shining, like in the Room 237 <laughs> documentary sense, that you have a film that is so beholden to just, like, stoking the nostalgia of current peoples, yet none of it, yet there's so many inconsistencies at the same time. That it completely disconnects from that. It's, like I said, it's like a dumb version of The Shining. Where The Shining's yeah. inconsistencies enhance the film, this film's inconsistencies drain it of substance. Absolutely. What little I, substance it has. You mentioned Room 237. Now I'm thinking I should have done that as my opening joke instead of the face-off thing. I should have been something like, we saw Doctor Sleep early, and Zach and I clearly think it's about the Holocaust. <laughs> <laughs> It's about the plight of the Native Americans. Yes. Uh, yeah. Did you know that Ewan McGregor faked the moon landing? Ah, <laughs> uh, dear. I, uh, oh, the moon room. See, maybe, 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 hey, Rob, maybe that is the moron room. The moron, yeah, the moron room. That's Absolutely. where the film ends. The thing about the final mm-hmm. confrontation between uh, uh, Ewan McDonald and Abracadabra happens in the moron room. <laughs> See, it's oddly appropriate now. Yeah, absolutely. Right on. Let's do our own Room 237. <laughs> We're going to do our own Room Okay, Rob, if if a documentary about conspiracy theories about The Shining is called Room 237, what would we call our conspiracy theory film about Dr. Sleep? Uh, oh, maybe something like, please, doctor, wake me up from this hell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to like, what, uh, oh, you know, what did we have in a... I hope the death cat lays on my bed tonight. That would be a good title for the film. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, bingo. Um, oh, I, I yeah. guess that, yeah. So Dr. Sleep, uh, you know, Dr. Sleep being Danny Torrance, he's like we mentioned, he helps people into the afterlife. I, I don't know if it's in the book, but I feel like even in 2013 and earlier when like uh, uh, Stephen King was writing this book, the, the idea of the death cat is old as hell. Like, the Death Cat was a news story in, like, New York City in 2002 or something like that. That there was some, this, I don't, if anybody doesn't know the story, there was this, like, uh, nursing home, and this cat would cuddle up to, like, old folks, and it turned out that a few days later they would always die. So people were like, oh my god, this cat can predict death. And it became, like, a modern-day folk legend or something like that. There's an episode of House about it. It turns out, in reality, that when people are on death's door, nursing homes give them heated blankets. And cats like to snuggle up to heated blankets. Literally, that was the solution. The cat did not predict anybody's death. It would go to heat sources. 
Why? Why even include that? That idea is so played out and old. It's it's a cliche as far as I'm concerned at this point. Just make it. He has the shining. He doesn't need a cat to guide him to dead people. Like what? What was the point of that? I like that's the thing though. Is that, like I don't know if that's pulled from the book, from the source material. Yeah, I don't know either. So, but if if it is. Why not just skin skin? You are adapting the novel for screen to the screen. Mm-hmm. Why not just drop that element out? Exactly. Nobody needs to see this cat that just. And then what? There's one scene where the cat. He's like, "There's no one in that room, you stupid fucking cat." And then it turns out to be Force Ghost Dick Halloran. And I'm like, yep. "Why would the cat know that?" And that's kind of where my idea was. You know, the the next, the third in the trilogy is going to be Abra training an animal to use the shiny. <laughs> that's where that came from. <laughs> oh God, yeah. <sighs> okay, yeah, so we have to we have to talk about de-aged Brie Larson because the moment she came on screen, that's the first thing I thought was she looks like a young Brie Larson. Clearly, it's not Brie Larson. The actress's name is Emily Allen Lind. I'd, I didn't have much against her performance. I just had an issue with the fact that they her introduction is her, like, she's she's pretending to be a prostitute so she can murder men who like little, not even yes. little girls, because she's 15. So it's like, what it's like a, 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 a febophobe or something. It's like not a, not a, a pedophile, but a, a, a febophile or something. You like women in that range or children in that range. I, uh, but I think for all intents and purposes, she's, she's, she's murdering, uh, she's ruining the lives of pedophiles. I think sure. Sure. That's yeah. Anybody, that's un- un- anybody us. under the age of consent, I think is yeah. probably the, uh, the, the mark there. And it's introduced where she, she has the power of suggestion. So she tells the guy to go to sleep. She's like neuralizing him, which is, I guess how her power works. She's like, go to sleep. And then I'm going to implant memories. And she like pokes two holes in his cheek. And she's like, you're going to tell your wife that you got a snake bite or something. And then she leaves. She's confronted by Rose the Hat. And Rose the Hat is just like, oh, you're snake bite Andy. And I'm like, is, is that a, like, is that what the newspapers yeah. are calling her? Is that what Rose the Hat's calling her? Wh- where did this come from? And then it's established that snake bite, that's how, you know, of course, in the movie, that's how we get our introduction is to, you know, how people join this group, the true knot and blah, 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 blah. But then... It was so clear to me from the moment they're like, this character has the power of suggestion. I I think I really want to do the research. The power of suggestion as a, a telepathic ability is not new. It's been around forever. You know, uh, Jessica Jones, first season on Netflix, Killmore or Killgrave or Killmonger, whatever his, the villain is, he has the power of suggestion. There's like six characters on Heroes that have the power of suggestion. I really, really want to do a deep dive throughout all of history find all the characters that have ever had the power of suggestion, I would bet money that at least 95% of all instances of someone having this ability, they will say the phrase, kill yourself and get a character to commit suicide. (laughs) I was so, like that whole scene where it was like, Danny has the shining, his friend is just an ex-alcoholic that knows how to shoot a gun. So, you know, everybody's got their own superpower. And then they kill off everybody except the one with the power of suggestion. And I'm like, guess who's shooting themselves in the face? The sidekick. And then 20 minutes later, that's exactly what happens. And it's just like, come on. You couldn't have done anything clever with that. Her her last hurrah is to get someone to kill themselves. Duh. Duh. That's what they're doing. Why wouldn't she say something like, kill everyone? 
If you had the power of suggestion, why would you say to someone, like, literally kill as many people as you can? Why would you just say kill yourself? Why wouldn't you say kill I, Danny? I, I think Fuck this. I, no, okay. I'll I'll give the movie credit there. Remember, Rob, this is mass consumption entertainment. Yeah, yeah, homogenization, yeah. Yeah, you you do need you need to make, you need to make it simple for the idiots in the audience. Because when you do that cuz you think about it, it's, it's her dying breath. Yes, should she have started that off maybe when she when they're getting picked off in the crowd? Maybe she should have like ducked behind a rock and waited for them to come out to check the dead and then do it to I them. Just, I would have just screamed, "Stop shooting." If someone's shooting at me and I have the power of suggestion, I, I would scream, "Stop shooting!" Uh, but but then you don't have a movie, though. That's that's <laughs> then the you, only thing. Then I you got. have smart villains, and that does not make a movie, apparently. <laughs> no, but like I said, you, you can the villains aren't supposed to be overly competent. But it's like okay, I get that in the fact that I don't know. Yes, the movie's stupid. I'm not going to argue that. But in the context of the very specific scene where she tells his friend to sh- kill himself. Um, I get that you do need to create emotional stakes at that point because there's really nobody we like the friend at least. I think in all honesty, the only character I cared about in this entire film was the friend because he's the only actor that seemed to give a genuine performance. Yeah, oh yeah, like, Cliff, Cliff Curtis is great in everything I think I've ever seen him in. Yeah, so it's like okay, I get that you're, you're milking it for that purpose because um, he's the only like he's untainted. He's a good character through and through. He doesn't have a CD history from. In the context of like the world of paranormal shining stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I get that. Fine. And that doesn't bother me. That doesn't bother me. I just thought it was interesting that we picked off the entire uh, band of sidekicks all at once. Yeah, that I did not expect, definitely. And I'm like, why are we picking like, we're, p- we're picking up the, the guy with the sunglasses, we're picking off this, we're picking out them. And I'm like, and then the whole time uh, we have woman the hat screaming every time one of them dies. And this brings me to one thing about my audience. Because going back earlier, what I said about it being the uh, grown-up Avengers Infinity War audience sure. was that at two po- I know I think it happens three times, but only two times this I, I elicited this response from the audience that when um, Woman the Hat is doing something to Abracadabra, and she oh it's when she's in her mind and she gets knocked off her uh, motorhome and she oh, screams okay. yes and she screams Woman the Hat, the audience erupted in laughter. <laughs> Nice, <laughs> and I don't mean like a ra- I mean no, 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 not like like ironic laughter, like like what you just did. This was the um, oh the like sincerity Aven- <laughs> in Avengers Infinity War laughter, like ah <laughs> that really. I oh my god, okay, I'm sorry, folks. They did that, and I turned around and I looked at my mother, and I go, "What was funny about that?" Like it was not an ironic laughter. It was like a like Rocket Raccoon says, "How much for the arm? Not for sale." Or no, I'm sorry. How much for the gun? Not for sale. Well, how much for the arm then? Mm-hmm. Like it was that sort of like lowest common denominator type like hu- like laughter. And I'm like, uh, what the okay. hell was that? And then the second time it happens is I think when um. I don't know for sure. I know the first time is when she gets knocked off her motorhome. The second time, I think it might have been all of her sidekicks are getting picked off, and she's screaming on top of the the motorhome again. Okay. And she every time you know every time they pick one of them off, she goes. She starts like she has like that banshee like scream, and they did it again. Ah! And I'm like, I I I, 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 I this time I wasn't quite sure. I might go. Why is this? Why are these people finding this funny? Yeah. Yeah, that, like, I don't think that got any laughs in my audience. Any of those moments, I think well, the the only laugh I remember my audience giving was when uh, Abra like 
telepathically shows her dad the murder of Jacob Tremblay and he like cripples over in the uh, in the driveway because he's like, oh, my God, like, what is my daughter doing to me? And then it's the hard cut to him shakily Uh, pouring alcohol like that. my, My audience laughed at that. Oh yeah, my audience laughed at that too, but that was more of a the movie wants you to laugh at. Yeah, that. yeah, absolutely. That's so strange during those Well, it's kind of like slapstick comedy almost with her falling off the the motorhome and uh, stuff. But like I don't but I don't the movie's not I, that's the thing like I'm very good at reading when things are funny. Like I think we, I talked about sure, it in the yeah. Watchmen episode when Sal laughed at literally everything in the movie. Like like the comedian getting thrown onto the coffee table. That was hilarious. Um, at any time anybody did something, I think it's like, okay. Because I, I, I asked, I, I, when the movie was over, I asked my mother, I'm like, do you know why they laughed at that? And her big thing was, and I share her sentiment to a certain extent, it's just, it's an immaturity in the audience. They don't, mm-hmm, they don't, mm-hmm. like, like, even my mother said, like, if you don't understand the workings of The Shining, like the novel, or just, if you don't have a firm grasp of that world, most of what goes on in this movie is going to be lost on you. Because sure. this movie kind of, like, kind of assumes that you understand everything that goes on in the first movie mm-hmm. and she thinks that's what it was it was like an immaturity on the audience that like oh it's like children you show a child something that they don't understand they're gonna laugh at because that's just something that's just something they know how to do yes it's a knee-jerk response and i do agree with her to one extent to, uh, to that extent of that it's just an immaturity amongst the audience sadly we're not talking about seven-year-olds You're, we're talking about like 18 to 23 year olds but that's neither here nor there but i, I got to ask rob because rob's oh i maybe fortunately or unfortunately he's the uh, expert on this between the two of us <laughs> if someone is high or drunk would that make that if, if you're high like and like i've said before when i go to the galleria most of the time when I see a movie at night, there's high people in the audience, especially when they're under the age of like 21. Um, if one is high, would that make something like that funny? Uh, like if, if, if you saw a woman in the hat getting knocked off her motor home and then watch her scream in agony as her cohorts are picked off, would that make someone who's high like laugh hysterically? I would say uh, not inherently. I, I definitely think that the the ways that most people are getting high these days are definitely enhancers. Like you're not going to find that overly funny unless you would sober, unless you're on like nitrous and like <laughs> laughing gas and stuff. Then then you probably get kicked out of the theater. But I would I would say it it would help somewhat. So, definitely kind of like a you know if you have a group of friends and you're like oh we're gonna go see. This sounds weird as I'm thinking about it and probably weird as I'm going to say it. I'm imagining a group of, you know, late teenagers who are saying something like, yeah, we're going to get high and go watch The Shining at an early screening, like a week before it comes out <laughs> and and laugh at it. It's like that's that could happen. I could see like if you have the right group of people and, you know, you're all you're like smoking up beforehand and you just you got the giggles before you go in, maybe. But the whole theater, that that seems like a stretch. But it's interesting. Well, not. Well, OK. Because, again, I was, again, uh, taking my mother out of this, I'm 27 years old, and I felt like a dirty old man in this theater. (laughs) Like, like it was. This was primarily, like, you're talking about, probably the average age was probably, like, 19. And so, based on what my mother's theory was, so if if you're dealing with immature children, Mm mentality-wise, and they got baked out of their mind beforehand, that probably would, like you said, enhance the likelihood of them finding these things sure. that are not funny funny okay yeah because it yeah. was it, it was genuinely jarring because it, it happened twice 
And I'm like, again, obviously we all know the adage of once is an isolated incident, twice is a coincidence, three times a pattern. And I I did not get that third time pattern because Mm -hmm. the laughter of the father pouring the drink was a distinctively different laughter than her falling off the boat. Ah, gotcha. Very very different. Because I even thought they were going to laugh when she's at the grocery store, which is hysterical, watching our villain shopping for groceries. That's just, like, nothing nothing kills the vibe of a villain. Like, everybody knows that famous scene in The Exorcist where uh, Reagan is shopping for groceries in between between her uh, exorcist sessions. Mm -hmm. Um, That's my favorite scene of The Exorcist. Um, But I I thought the scene where she's staring into the dairy case of, like, the... uh, Oh god, the the oh, um like the vegan like soy milks in like the 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 refrigerator <laughs> cabinet like explodes. Yeah. I start I started to chuckle at that because I thought that was hysterical. Like I wasn't guffawing at it, but I started to chuckle at it. But when that happened, they didn't laugh. Oh wow. I um that's, that's what you surprising. think. You think your villain like looking into a a oh god a refrigerator cabinet and exploding and throwing her across the store. The people who thought a woman falling off a motorhome was funny, you think that would be in the same line as that, but nothing. Oh god, that's so crazy. Yeah, that didn't I get know. laughs. I think that might have got maybe a few chuckles for my audience, but the thing that got me in that scene was like, you know, the 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 freezer door like blows open, Rose the hat's thrown back, her nose is bleeding, her hat flies off. And then like a grocery store worker walks up and is just like, "Ma'am, are you okay?" Any <laughs> grocery store worker would be like, "What the fuck did you just do?" Like, how did you how did you destroy two shelves of milk? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's a all honesty. I can't imagine like the person being, I'm not even mad. I'm more impressed now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah. How did you do this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd be more amazed than anything else. Like, ma'am, can like can we talk to you for a moment? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, if only that were the if only that were the only inconsistency in that film. I have a, uh, I have another quick thing about Rose the Hat that I I hate. Sure. I'm sure Zach did not pick up on this, but uh, there's a few scenes where we see Rose the Hat and she's talking to other members of her gang, the True Knot, and she is wearing a a shirt that says red clay strays and red clay strays is uh, a band uh, they're not very popular they don't even have a wikipedia page i think um so they're rare they're very new but they have a following i think i got to see them once at some like weird small festival in ohio but i was like what i was like why the hell is she wearing a red clay strays shirt in in like two or three scenes like that no one knows that band i stayed through the whole credits to see if they was if there was any mention of kubrick in the credits which there wasn't um but i noticed that the red clay strays produced a single for this movie and so oh. she's wearing the shirt of the band that performs a song for the movie and i was like fuck i was like fuck you i was like why i was like why it's one song there's there, the newton brothers composed the entire soundtrack why not wear a Newton Brothers shirt? Why wear a shirt for someone who gave one song to the soundtrack? It made no sense to me. I mean, Pro- I'm, I'm all, if, I'm all if, for if bands I, promoting themselves, but, like, what the fuck? They're probably friends of Mike Flanagan's. I, there, there you I, go. I would imagine nepotism. if you look, I would imagine, or, and you know, it's not nepotism, it's cronyism. It's the idea that, like, okay, these are my cronies, I'm going to prop them up even though it makes no sense in the context of the movie. Yep, yep, there you go. Rob, what's an obscure band from the 19, from 1980? Or from the late seventies, like not like an obscure band, not like the Rolling Stones. <laughs> They're not obscure. <laughs> obscure band from the nineteen seventies. This it can be obscure even to me as long as it's not like the Rolling Stones or 
just give, give me some. I don't know, like a, Sparks. You ever hear Sparks? Perfect. I'll take that. Okay. Imagine, <laughs> imagine in The Shining, instead of Danny wearing the Apollo Eleven sweater, he had a Sparks shirt um. on. And imagine now everybody has all these theories about the Apollo Eleven sweater. Imagine that, but it was just oh, it's it's because Kubrick knew the band The Sparks and he wanted to help them out. Okay, gotcha. Like th- that's what I mean, though. Is that, like that's the thing about this movie. This movie is almost like the anti, like antithesis to The Shining. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like in, in, in a perfect way. Maybe it is the perfect sequel. Is that it's the exact polar opposite of what the The Shining is. It's like a uh, oh god, like the evil. Ref- it's like the the reflection. It's like the evil dark side reflection of it all. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the Black Lodge doppelganger. Exactly. That's perfect. <laughs> that's what we're going to call. That's what we're going to call our Room 237 documentary about Dr. Sleep. Black Lodge, you got Black Lodge 237. Oh, I dig it. <laughs> All right, there's a couple other things uh I have uh, one thing that's funny. I was thinking about this earlier to this morning was that, like last year I was complaining about Halloween, the 2018 movie before mm-hmm. I had seen it saying like, Oh, there's no respect for it. And I kind of realized like, you know, I, I, I really do love that uh, 2018 uh, Halloween film yet this, I had the almost the exact same problems going into that film as I did with this one. Whereas the eight 2018 film subverted my expectations positively and Dr. Sleep reinforced all those negative assumptions pretty much from the get-go sure and it's like because rob saw the halloween 2018 film so he knows where i'm getting at here yep. that entire film ends not at the myers house or another familiar locale like yes the events happen pretty much the same way where we have jamie lee curtis going throughout the house with michael myers stalking her but it's a different locale we have different like laurie strode isn't alone uh What's her name? Uh, Judy Greer's there, and the granddaughter is there. Mm-hmm. You have a very similar, like, like the same things are happening, but they're all done differently. Yet we have yeah. the ending of The Shining. I'm sorry, we have the ending of Doctor Sleep, where the same thing is happening as the first film. Yet it's done almost in the exact same way with the exact same location. Yeah, where it's like it's that same idea. It's like there's good reboots and there's bad reboots. Whereas the Halloween 2018 film, I think, falls into the same category as a Force Awakens or Jurassic World. It is a soft reboot of a mm-hmm. a major film. Yet, I think, and I think that's kind of I don't want to say brilliant because I don't think the 2018 Halloween film is brilliant, but relative to Doctor Sleep, it is brilliant. Whereas you're taking yeah. this, be- you're taking this beloved horror film, you're doing very similar things, but you're repackaging them. Repackaging thing, repackaging them enough that it doesn't feel derivative, at least exactly. at the surface. Exactly, and I think that's that's a great example. I wasn't even thinking of the of the 2018 Halloween, but I think you know, just even in comparing, like you did on that maybe grander scale, I'm thinking of just like we were mentioning with Doctor Sleep and that opening scene. It was so kind of it didn't do what it needed to do to set up our villains. It, it played off like Jurassic Park two. Like I'm thinking of the opening scene of of Halloween 2018 when you have you know the the black and red uh, chessboard yeah. ground and everybody all the villains are tied up and can only move in certain areas and you have everybody screaming like shrieking you know while he while the reporter or whatever is holding out the mask it's like yeah that's not new that didn't break ground because I've seen imagery like that before but that did it in such a way that it gave me everything I needed to know about where this movie was going to go and about what this villain was feeling at the start. I borrowed something from a friend at the Attorney General's office, Michael. 
feel it, don't you, Michael? You feel the mask. Say something, Michael. Say something. You can feel it, can't you? It's part of you, Michael. It's part of you. Say something. Say something, Michael. Where this Dr. Sleep was just like, hey, there's bad guys in this movie. And then after the, the title card, hey, there's also good guys in this movie. And it's like, we know that. We understand basic concept of cinema. Ugh. Well, yeah, like even the very, the very first shot of this is a, re, you know, it's a dream sequence. It's literally retelling us the events of The Shining. Yep, yep. We get the big wheel ride, which I don't like. <laughs> Yeah, they fucked I, up. They fucked up the when he like goes at the very start, like in room two thirty seven. They make that big deal about how just in the corner of that exact big wheel ride, you can see the Colorado room and like the stained glass windows. And they fucked it up. You can't see shit in the in Doctor Sleep. You I see like see a curtain. I I could see part of the lounge. You I could thought. see part of the lounge, but there's no stained glass window. It's a curtain. Oh, it's not that. Oh, it's a curtain? Okay. Yeah, it, it's literally like they didn't build enough of the set to even pull that off. Later well, problem, on, when he when he loops around, you do see more of the lounge. Oh, okay. But that, that first one, it, oh, it, is, okay. it is very different. Okay, fair enough. So I'm t- I was talking about the loop around. Yeah, um, it's, it's but, like but, at the beginning of the, of the ride. It's, but, they fuck it up. But the thing about that, though, is that, like that when they did that sequence, I would imagine what they just had was they had a kid on a tricycle with a green screen. They, they didn't build a set. My ass, they yeah, built a that's, set. That's a good point. That's a good point. They probably did it uh, as, uh, 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 when I say effectively, I mean with effects, not like in an effective way. <laughs> yeah, a computer effect. Exactly. Okay. And I think that's what it is. Again, in a weird way, like in Kubrick's film, the hotel was physical, obviously, because they didn't have the technology then. Yet it was it was there. You could feel it. Yes. Yet with Dr. Sleep, most of it, not all of it, but most of it is CGI. It's hollow. Mm-hmm. There's yeah, no yeah, weight. Definitely. There's no weight to the Overlook anymore. The only weight that it has is what you bring with it from seeing The Shining. Yeah. Oh God. Even remembering now that we're talking about it, how it starts and doesn't the uh, doesn't the title like Doctor Sleep comes into frame yeah. with like the overlay of the carpet. Mm-hmm. That. Oh God. Yeah. yeah I, th- I think yeah. that. I think I, I was like. That's when I started shaking my head. <laughs> That's the weird thing about The Shining is that, like, over time, people, and I guess even to the fact that people just don't know who Jack Nicholson is anymore, but, like, it seems like the only hallmarks of The Shining anymore are the, the, the pattern of the carpet and the, uh, the hag in the tub. Yeah. 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 I was even surprised by how little the twins got in this. They're just at the end. Yeah. For, for, to, to be evil specters. Ooh. Yeah, I know. I, I, I think the... What made The Shining iconic back in the day, I think, has been discarded for the most part now. It seems like it, and it's it's a bummer. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. But one thing I just want to point out about the very, uh, toward the end when we have uh, uh, Abracadabra's running through the hotel and uh, the Ewan McDonald is Jack Torrance is chasing after yeah. her, mm-hmm. and we have the 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 party guest with the gash in his head with the drink. Nice grand party, isn't it? And he's whoever this actor was, and again I blame the actor here, but I do blame the filmmakers as well because they probably did a couple takes of this. We have to do a cut between the shining audio Great party, isn't it? and the audio from Dr. Sleep. Great party, isn't it? And the actor in the Doctor Sleep thing, I'm not even joking, folks. He gives a one one trillionth the amount of oomph in his voice as the actor does in The Shining. Yeah, I I, I felt that same way, and I think that's like I was saying earlier. A lot of this, the dialogue on a lot of this movie felt so rushed, and that's how I felt about that scene because he's like, it's it's like they just need to cram it in there where he's like, great party, isn't it? And it's like. No, that takes away all of the meaning that that one shot had in The Shining, mm-hmm. and that's and, and and guess why it's there? It's it was designed to be. That's the thing about this. Like I don't, I think everything that's wrong with this movie, um, maybe not all of it, hundred percent, but I think the majority of it is tainted intentionally. So, yeah. I like to imagine that, like when Stephen King was watching this, like the the very first like time he got. Allowed to watch it and pretty much I'm not saying a rough cut But like the first time they screened it for him He probably just started laughing maniacally <laughs> Yeah I I could totally see that like I'm I'm That's kind of how I'm imagining as well where he's You know doing the um he's watching This movie and and between laughing maniacally He's doing the Mr. Burns finger Touching excellent everything's yep. Coming together <laughs> and like In the back the producers and the filmmakers were like pulling Their collars like sweating bullets and at the End they're like Stephen King comes and jumps out and he's like, guys, fantastic film, perfect. <laughs> Mr. King, you were laughing all throughout it. Oh, you wouldn't understand that. But there's something you want to change. No, perfect. Don't change a thing. So you think it all makes sense? Clear as a bell. <laughs> Smithers, send it to print. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh God, yeah. But like that whole thing about just the kind of great party, isn't it? I'm like, ah. Oh. I'm like, you've ripped the soul out of it because it's so hollow. Like, yep. it reminds me, like, when Rob and I talked about, like, The Last Jedi a couple of years ago. Like, at the beginning of The Force Awakens, where, like, the, the Star Wars, like, sound comes in, the ba 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 And, like, The Force Awakens and Last Jedi one sounds so hollow compared to the George Lucas-era ones. Mm-hmm. And I think that's intentional. I think it was designed, like, that's why I don't blame the actor entirely, in that I think it was intentional. I think they deliberately, the actor's probably like, oh, I probably can do a better take. No, no, we're good. But I can do it better. We're good. <laughs> and that's where it is. It's like they know what they're doing. Like, and that's the shame of it all. But like this ties into one of the things I did want to bring up. And again, obviously, if you've listened to our uh, Shining episode, you heard us talking about how like in all the marketing, there's so much imagery from the 1980 film. Yet, interestingly enough, there's no 1980 film footage in this, in Dr. Mm-hmm. Sleep. So yep, that's me- that's exactly why I stayed through the credits. I was really looking to see if there's any Kubrick mention because they would have to, and there's not a single word because it's and all that- them. They it's all recreation and and bullshit. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm wondering is that I, I we talked about it that in Stanley Kubrick's probably contracts for this, 
he probably had a line or a clause that they couldn't use the any footage from the film without his explicit permission. Yeah, yeah. And that's why. And they probably fa- Warner Brothers probably found a loophole in that they they probably could use it in the marketing, but they can't use it in the final product. Or mm. it could also be a director's guild rule. There's probably a director's guild rule that says you can't use another filmmaker's footage in another film without their explicit oh. consent. Yeah, it could, I, be. It, it could have been Kubrick's contract. It could be a, a, a DGA rule. I don't know. But the fact that it's in the marketing, but not in the final film, leads me to believe my own personal assumption that it was probably in Kubrick's contract. They couldn't use it. Okay. And thank God somebody in the Kubrick estate, whether it be Christiana or one of his daughters, said no. We're drawing yeah. much like Jack for different reasons. Jack Nicholson's just money hungry. The Kubrick estate said no. We we're not. Gonna, we don't care how much of a check you write. We're not going to do this. Yeah, and you, it, my father would not want this to happen. Yeah. And I think I think that's we're, we're in agreement with that is because, you know, when I sat through the credits and looked for any mention of Kubrick and there was none, I was kind of like that was the one part of the movie where I was like, thank God, like, good. This should not have any ties to the original in credits. It, people will hopefully one day realize that these are two separate entities, but only time will tell. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully, because well, let's get happy. Because even like, like we said, uh, his widow is like ninety something, mm-hmm. and his daughters have to be at least like 60, 70. So it's only a matter of time until the grandkids get in charge of the estate. And they're just going to say, you know what? They want to use the footage as long as the check has enough zeros. Oh God, well, that's that's going to happen eventually. It's gonna, it's, gonna, it's like the thing that happens every once in a while with George Lucas and the unaltered uh, original trilogy. Like once he's dead, you really think when Disney goes to his his children and says, "We'll write you a check for thirty million dollars to have the unaltered ones," they're not going to say no. They'd yeah. be stupid. Yep, that's oh, what it's going to happen. it's it's going to happen eventually. I guess we just have to appreciate that it's not happening just yet. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, hopefully. Hopefully we're dead before the world goes completely to shit. <laughs> oh dear. But um, no, I have, I have a couple other things I just want to say, and they'll be brief. Is that one thing at the end, at reading the ending of the Shining novel, mm-hmm. that I didn't know this happened, is that uh, when Jack is going after T- Danny, he's chasing him with a roquet mallet as opposed to the axe. Oh, okay. And one thing that toward the end of the book, what happens is that Danny's trying to get through to his father and while this is happening the hotel realizes like oh we have to frighten danny so they take obviously they've possessed jack torrance so they have jack take the mallet and literally smash his face in until it's just like oh god there's no it says in the book it's, it's one of the very few scenes that's genuinely horrific that there's nothing there it's just like his face is like a puddle of just like flesh and bone chunks okay and toward the end of this film, Dr. Sleep, I was thinking maybe that's what they were going to do to you and McDonald. Oh. Kind of go for another scare, even though he has he has the axe. I was hoping maybe he'd have some sort of like blunt object, maybe like the Wendy bat, maybe again, mm-hmm. another tie into the film, the Wendy bat. And he hits himself with the face, hits himself in the face, and it disfigures him that way. I thought that'd be a really like, creepy, ghoulish visual. And they didn't do that. <laughs> considering considering they copied the ending from the novel yeah. almost perfectly, that's one part of the novel they did not keep. Okay, okay, geez. Which unfortunately is one of the more interesting aspects. So of course they said nope, nope, can't have that. Like, somewhere in the screening room, like after we said Stephen King watches Doctor Sleep, and it's like, so anything you want to change, Mister King? Oh no, it's perfect the way it is. And he's like, he's about to walk out of him. Goes, hold on a second. 
You know that scene where Ewan McDonald hits, like, disfigures himself? Cut that out. Well, why, Mr. King? Why, Mr. King? Just have his regular face. Handsome-looking guy. It'll work. Yeah. But what should we do? Just glaze over one of his other eyes. It'll be fine. That's fine. I guess yeah. the idea across. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. And then just, uh, one, again, I did like the Jacob Tremblay scene. And there's one other piece of filmmaking I liked. Was that, I forget what, I think it's when Abracadabra is having one of her visions. And she sees their little, like, like caravan of, like, motorhomes. And mm. we get, like, that, like, bird POV shot. And we see them, like, going around, circling oh, and stuff. Oh, yeah, she's, like, following them somehow. Like, Rose the Hat can do. But we get that, yeah, that overhead shot. Okay. I thought that was neat. Like, like on a visual, like just like filmmaking level, the idea of just having it, like instead of just seeing cars drive around or motorhomes, having it shot from like that bird POV, and this how like the uh, the design sure. of them, like and, like this how like they they move and stuff. I'm like that's cool. I'm like you know what? Like th- the movie's not giving me a lot of substance, so the very few bit morsels I get, I'm gonna take them and run with them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> neat. Whatever. Um. Yeah, I think that's it. The only thing I, the only thing I, I guess again, one of the many inconsistencies in this film I just want to bring up is when uh, Abracadabra's father dies. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I know at this point in the film they're setting up a trap for uh, Woman the Hat's lackeys, but why can't Abracadabra sense that a the dude is walking into the house, oh, yeah. and two that her father dies? Yeah, exactly. Why? Why? Can't she sense that other than the fact the script Tells her she can't sense that I was exactly about to say that that's why she can't Is because we need our, our second act Dip where our heroes are at their lowest point Yeah and I'm like why, why couldn't she Why couldn't she sense that I'm like, like You're telling me she's this all powerful DD And they make her they make oh good lord they, She's easily more powerful than woman The hat and Dan oh yeah she's, she's the Chosen one yeah yeah and then this, well, okay, another thing I brought that was funny. And I think, I'm not sure if Rob picked up on this. This is a nitpick, I can see that. Was that at one point, uh, Abracadabra wants to go see Danny. So her, the, the, one of the parents drops her off at school. As all the kids are going in, she turns around and walks away and gets on a bus and goes to wherever Danny's living currently. Yes. She gets off the bus and he's driving the train around the little miniature town. And we see Danny get off the train. He's unloading at all the kids that are on the train. And then that's when he notices her. Mm-hmm. Why aren't those kids in school? <laughs> we know it's a school. Yeah, we know it's a school day because this small town in New Hampshire does field trips to the train. <laughs> You're I was right, thinking, yeah. I was thinking about that. I, I get it, folks. It's inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. But I'm like, it's clearly a school day. Why aren't those kids at school? Never mind the fact. Why is nobody not noticing that the daughter's not at school? I'm not going to mention that. But it's like, why? Like, why? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about that. I in that scene, I was thinking about how um, we get the we get like it's not a quick shot. It's actually a few seconds long, where it's like uh, Danny opens like three doors to let children out of the train, and he looks so fucking miserable as he's doing it. I thought that oh, was hilarious. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. I'm just imagining he's like, God damn it, I need a drink. <laughs> I gotta drive these fuckers around their train. <laughs> That's what makes me wonder is that maybe the reason why there are all those kids, maybe they just took that sequence. It, it was maybe it was from a, originally from an earlier part of the film and they just spliced it in later. Mm, maybe yeah. they, maybe when they were putting the film together and editing, they realized, oh, crap, we don't have a sequence like this. <laughs> we, we need a scene of him looking up and seeing something. And we didn't shoot that that during those sequences maybe that's what it was yep that's the thing i can oh, think of it, it, it was a scene that was uh transplanted from one part of the film to the other and it's just slightly jarring 
this thing's a mess. Oh yeah, every sense, every every single sense of the word. Um, and then the other thing I thought was funny was that uh, the reason why Abracadabra sends Danny and Billy to what was it, Iowa to go find the remains of Jacob Tremblay. Yeah, she's like, yep. she's like, his parents are looking for him. They need to know what happened to him. And then she says this, but earlier in the film. She somehow goes like okay because they kill Jacob Tremblay just for the sake of argument. Let's say it's on a Saturday or what a Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. He's at his little league game, and then the very not even like what less than twenty four hours later, she's on the computer and his picture and name is already in like an FBI database for like yeah. missing children. Yeah, and on that on that screen and that printout, it says that he went missing September twenty first, two thousand nineteen. Which is a Saturday. Okay. So there's no way a missing missing persons on the database is showing up until like a week from then. Never mind, they won't let you file a missing persons report for a child to what, 48 hours? 48, yeah. The- exactly. Unless you know somebody in the FBI. <laughs> well, that too. But, <laughs> but I like the idea that like he goes missing on a Saturday afternoon. And by like, and never mind, because it doesn't, doesn't make sense either because she's at school the very next day. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So it doesn't even make sense that it's a Saturday. No, nothing. Nothing makes sense. <laughs> Maybe this film really is like the like Bizarro Shining. That's what it is. That's what we're gonna call our documentary. Bizarro <laughs> Shining. The Bizarro Shining. That's what it is. You take all the theories from Room 237, except the same things happen here, but it's stupid. Yep. Oh yeah. That's what it is, folks. The Bizarro Shining. That's Rob and I's Cinematis presents The Bizarro Shining. Yeah, look for the uh, crowdfunding campaign soon. <laughs> yes, yeah, on Kickstarter right now. Link in the description. Please donate. <laughs> oh, God. But I guess um, before I read the Twitter reactions, sure. there's, I, I told Rob there's even more stuff I have to bring up regarding The Shining. In our oh, four-hour-long episode, there's things I didn't cover that I forgot to. The first being that uh, think of, in Ready Player One, there's the entire portion of the second act that takes place in a recreation of the film. Mm-hmm. And I was watching that, and I, I remember when I, I I knew before Ready Player came uh, before Ready Player One came out in 2018. I remember people saying there's a great part in the middle of the film that was not advertised at all in the marketing. And so I remember when that happened, when I saw that film in theaters, and I thought it was the coolest goddamn thing ever. Again, <laughs> another instance of hearing the Shining theme like on a giant yeah. sound system. And the Ready Player One snippet of The Shining is more respectful to The Shining <laughs> than the Doctor Sleep follow-up film. Oh, that's God. deliberately trying to recreate things. That's embarrassing for people involved in Doctor Sleep. The only thing I have to say, though, two things about Ready Player One in that regard. One, again, that was directed by Steven Spielberg, and we all know Spielberg had a personal relationship with Kubrick, so obviously yep. there was going to be an infinite, much more, uh, there's going to be more respect there than the the makers of Doctor Sleep, which is weird. They're, they're both WB, they're both Warner Brothers films, which is interesting, oh. but but that's neither here nor there. And it makes me wonder, too, that maybe the reason why that sequence wasn't any of the marketing was because of the thing with Kubrick. Or maybe it was no. Think about that. No, think. Wait, if Doctor Sleep could use the Shining footage in its marketing, mm-hmm. why couldn't Ready Player One? 
Maybe maybe they could have, but I don't know. Would that they chose, have... they chose not to? Yeah, I, that's what I'm thinking. I still haven't seen Ready Player One, but I remember the, some of the marketing for it. Would that have added anything to the concept of Ready it's, Player One? It's 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 a hook. It's like it is a hook, it's a but hook. I mean, did they, maybe they they didn't think they needed that hook once because didn't the marketing show the DeLorean, the Iron Giant, like sure. it showed so much other hooks. But the thing about this, like Ready Player One, I like Ready Player One as a movie. I I don't think it's like a lot of people give that movie grief, but I think for what it is, it works. Um, but that whole movie is just hooks. It's everything's a hook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why not have a signing hook? Fair, fair. I don't know. I would, ma- I would imagine there's at least one person on the face of this earth that would have seen a shining bit in the marketing party. Would say, okay, I'll buy a ticket. Yeah, that's a good point. It, 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 uh, including that is kind of more of like coming at it from all angles. Yeah. But the thing I find, the I forgot about this moment in um, Ready Player One. And I'll, hopefully I can insert the clip. Is that the, the signing sequence is the second challenge to get the key. Or the second key, in, like in the lot of getting all three of them. Oh and, yeah, they they take out war games from because it's war games in the book. It's the Shining in the movie. <laughs> yes, but the clue is a creator who hates his own creation. And there's a line of dialogue from the main characters <laughs> going, "Of course, Stephen King hates the Shining." <laughs> right. On. And I started dying. I completely forgot about that line of dialogue. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> Bravo, Steve, uh, Steven Spielberg, you did it. The characters act because the clue is a creator who hates his own creation. They say, of course, Stephen King hates The Shining. Curator, can we see November 23 to 27, 2025? That's the week you went on the date with Kira. Okay, so our options for that week are the Fly remake, Great Flick, Terrible Date Movie. Say anything? That would make sense. We got to remember the clue. A creator who hates his own creation. The Shining. It's Halliday's 11th favorite horror film, and it's based on the best-selling book by Stephen King, who hated the movie. Hey, no side chit-chat. I think we found it. Nice. <laughs> Think about that, folks. Stephen King's hatred of The Shining is a plot point in a Steven Spielberg film. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, it's delightful, folks. Nothing short of absolutely delightful. But uh, unless there's anything else Rob has to say, um, I'm going to read the Twitter reactions. Yeah, I think the the only thing I have left is our, our uh, questions. So let's let's hear some of this uh, stuff we can disagree with. All right, folks. Uh, <laughs> brace yourself for some stupidity. All right. First tweet, I really enjoyed Dr. Sleep. I really like the originality that Mike Flanagan brought to the story. I can't wait to see it again. Oh, God. Next tweet, true not. Rose, one of the best movie villains ever. <laughs> oh, and there's one thing I want to predict, folks. Um, I've got a feel. depending on how this movie clicks with audiences, I've got a feeling that Woman the Hat, that's going to be like a Harley Quinn level costume next year for Halloween. Oh, that's a good idea. That's an interesting I, idea. Yeah, I could see. I've it. got because she's got that. She's got the right blend of bohemian yet sexy. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to. I'm going. I'm making a prediction now. Come 2020, woman, the hat is going to be a big Halloween costume for women. Just calling it now. Yeah, and all you have to do is grab a, uh, a hat. like a a, a bar. Uh, well, a hat and a, a bartender's um, whiskey tumbler that looks like one of those steam canisters. You're good to go. Yep. All right. Next tweet. If you're a fan of The Shining, then then you will love Doctor Sleep. <laughs> I can't wait to see it again and again and again. So good. 
Very good follow-up to the original. It connects Stephen King's work nicely. The continuance of the first movie's characters were close. They didn't distract from the narrative. I enjoyed the movie. I can't wait to see it again and again. Jeez. Yeah. What's wrong with people? I know. There's a lot of again and again in these, which makes me wonder if they are bots. When you see yeah. the same wording mm-hmm. over and over again, it usually it makes you believe that the studio has uh, paid for bots. But we're not accusing anybody of that, right, Rob? Um, anyway, though, next tweet. So Dr. Sleep was a really good film. Good companion film to The Shining. The director, Mike Flanagan, is the best, all caps, working in the horror genre today. Film was good, but not great. Very intense atmosphere throughout. I rate it 4 out of 5. Ewan McDonald gave a strong performance. So Mike Flanagan is the best working in the horror genre, but the film was only good, not great. That makes sense. Don't you love these inconsistencies? People don't think about what they're writing. Exactly. All right, next. Loved it, all caps. Acting is phenomenal. Sound design is awesome. And it's a great homage to the original. Mike Flanagan is seriously one of the best horror directors working. And he furthers that with this film. He has such a grasp on the genre. He has such a grasp on the genre. It's something special. Once again, very similar wording to a previous tweet. Makes you wonder if it's possibly a bot. The nerd. Okay, this is uh, from an account called Nerds with Friends. The nerds got to see Dr. Sleep tonight. Awesome move. Oh, okay. 19 means something. The nerds got to see Dr. Sleep tonight in theater 19, no less. Awesome movie that does a great job combining the movie and book worlds. Whether you're a King purist or a Kubrick fanboy, you'll love this movie. That's a lie. That's a lie. Yeah, I was about to say, we're, I, we're living proof. <laughs> I want to say right now that if you are a Kubrick purist or fanboy or whatever, you, whatever name you want to give us, you should hate this film. Because this movie is like if Stanley Kubrick is not turning over in his grave right now, mm-hmm. and especially next weekend, I don't know what, folks. All right, next. Dr. Sleep was great throughout the whole movie. It met the greatness of its predecessor and did the book justice a little different, but in a good way. Next, Dr. Sleep is still just as great the second go-around. Yeah, I know this, per- this person apparently saw it twice. I don't know how you see that before the film's out in a preview screening, but... And the weird thing, too, is that the... the, the see it the, on the, the pre- East Coast at 7 p.m., then fly to Colorado to see it at, at yeah, 7 right. p.m. <laughs> is, is, the, is the Concorde have any flights? Sir, the Concorde hasn't flown in a decade. I need to see Dr. Sleep again quick! <laughs> yeah, and the weird thing, too, is that the, the, the premiere, the Hollywood premiere, was literally the 29th. Oh, so okay. I have no so I so unless this guy went to the premiere and then bought an early advance ticket, I don't know. I don't know how he did this. Sure. All right, but but continuing his his uh, review, intense, thrilling, and such an interesting dive into trauma, grief, and loss. McDonald and Ferguson are awesome, but shout out to Keely Curran who absolutely crushes in the film. What a perfect end to the spooky season. Keely Curran being uh, uh, abracadabra. Yep. The Shining is one of my top three favorite horror movies of all time. So you could just imagine how hyped I was to see Dr. Sleep, and it definitely did not disappoint. Heart eyes emoji. Dr. Sleep was a great sequel to The Shining. Enjoyed it. Great King adaptation with Gerald's game. I don't want to say he is the new Frank Darabont, but dot, dot, dot. All right, this next next one is from the uh, editor-in-chief of JoeBlow.com. Enjoyed Dr. Sleep even more the second time around, especially since I've been able to make peace with the book changes. A thoroughly entertaining supernatural thriller, and one I know I'll revisit multiple times. And my kid absolutely loved it. So there's the youth vote. <laughs> Doctor, see, that's the scare. Like Rob said, it's, there's going to be a whole new generation that's going to sit there, hate 
hate The Shining because it's too boring. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next, Doctor Sleep is one hell of a movie. I don't know if I'm more excited or terrified, but I'm not going to get much sleep tonight. Hats off to Mike Flanagan and Stephen King. After being let down by It Chapter 2 and Pet Cemetery, a King adaptation finally delivered this year with thrills and emotion. Doctor Sleep is not the relentless terror of The Shining, but it's not trying to be. Flanagan understands what makes things cor- stories work. Compassion. Sure. Um, really, really like Doctor Sleep. Does a terrific job combining King and Kubrick, bringing closure to both the literacy and the cinematic storylines. And Rebecca Ferguson might just have become my villain of the year. Oh my god. Uh huh. It's, it's as if there's like somebody pu- like pumped carbon monoxide into these certain yeah. screenings in the country. Yeah. Fandango, we have a question for you. We have to reach out to Fandango. Be like, are there certain screenings where people like, had to inhale carbon monoxide for a certain portion of the screening? Yeah, I didn't. It seems like everybody was like buzzed during this. I I didn't get anything from the theater. Come on. <laughs> so, Doctor Sleep is very long. The pacing is incredibly slow, and the story is all over the place at times. Thankfully, the cinematography, score, and performances in Mike Flanagan's direction keep this thing occasionally interesting. <laughs> occasionally, oh god! At least all that right. one's not glowing like the others. No, that also I think that came from. Oh. Okay, well, I clicked on this guy's Twitter thing, and all his thing is uh, gun reform now, blank ice. Yeah, so this guy, <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Okay, clearly he has an agenda. Um, go see, okay, got to see a preview screening of Dr. Sleep tonight. It's really good. A great balance of what made The Shining good and what makes a modern horror thriller appealing to audiences. And then this last, well, this last review is like a multiple thread. Uh, tweet, but I think this is the type of response you're going to get. This is from a uh, a very particular. Oh God, I would say someone who's not particularly sh- that doesn't shine, but they are very woke. Okay. As far as Doctor Sleep itself goes, I have mixed feelings. It has Zon McLaren in it, so that's a plus one from the start. Rebecca Ferguson and Kylie Curran and you and McDonald shown. No nails on the chalkboard female characters in this movie. Some really good bits paying tribute to The Shining. Some really, really, really horrible imitations with the second just taking me out of the movie completely. Thankfully, one scene and done. Not enough McLaren. Some really great possessed scenes a la Loki as Captain America. (laughs) Isn't that sad now that that's that's what somebody considers as an admirable benchmark? Referencing yeah. a comic book hero movie. That's terrible. Like that's insanity, folks. Folks, if you ever compare a movie to a Marvel film in a positive, you don't understand movies. I'm sorry. Um, overall, glad I saw it and will likely see it again. Not necessarily in theaters due to multiple repeat viewings of JoJo and Parasite. Not necessarily super scary, though there is one horrific scene. There is one awful thing in it that then gets forgotten about once it serves its purpose. I only fully saw The Shining when it was re-released. Between the horrible Duval character and the fact I had seen all the scary bits a gazillion times, it just felt long, boring, and or pissed me off. Oh, God. While there is no excuse for the Duval part, I can acknowledge that it was probably good and scary if you saw it when it came out, though probably still had mega boring stretches, and I get that it influenced many directors slash movies I like. And there it is, folks. That is that is the modern generation in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. I acknowledge that it was probably good and scary for the time, but it still had mega boring stretches. And that's it. And I used 
two gigs of data on my phone while I watched it. It sucked. <laughs> exactly. That's that's the scary thing about this movie, folks. That's the scary thing is that there's going to be a whole new generation that's going to latch on to it because, first and foremost, they're just stupid. They, know, they, they can't think for themselves. And two, they have some warped agenda that they're going to just overlay on this film. Mm-hmm, exactly. Woman that has a better is a better female representation than Shelley Duvall. But but Shelley Duvall defeats Jack in the end. Yep. And she doesn't need any supernatural powers. And Woman in the Hat has supernatural powers yet still can't defeat the male character. Yeah. Yet somehow Woman in the Hat is a better power symbol of feminism. <laughs> like do these people not think at all? Yeah, I, I that's how I see it. Uh, everything is just their thoughts come in sound bites, incoherent, yeah. unconnected sound bites, and they don't think about any future or previous ones when the next one comes out of their mouth. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy! And there's one last thing about the Shining, and that's my—we're putting a final nail in the coffin on Shining talk until next. Week. I'm not until the <laughs> no, no, Rob. We know there will until, be that well, much. until Thursday. Until, <laughs> yes, until Thursday. In that um. Uh, in Blade Runner, I know Rob's never seen Blade Runner, but at the very end when uh, Harrison Ford and uh, whoever her name is, I forget, whatever her name is, I forget what her name is, I can see her, but I can't think of her name. When they're driving through the woods, um, that was footage from The Shining. That was all oh, B-roll. Yeah. And, uh, and whatever it was, Ridley Scott asked Cooper uh, if he could use the footage, and he said, as long as you don't use anything I used in my film, go ahead. Which goes to show that Kubrick did keep extra stuff. Yeah. Which means, which proves, I like, think about it, if he had a bunch of just like B roll of like people driving in the woods, why wouldn't Kubrick have kept the Ullman scene? Which means it's there, which means exactly. uh, Leon Vitale is a dirty liar. <laughs> That's right. That's right. See, folks, and you know, I think it's just one last thing about Dr. Sleep is that Leon Vitale, anytime someone says something about Kubrick or any of his work, is jumping through a window to contradict somebody. Where is he now? Why isn't Leon Vitale right now on some podcast or making a YouTube video yeah. calling for a boycott of this? That's a good like, point. Like in all honesty, this film is much more squanders the memory of Kubrick and The Shining than Room Two Thirty Seven does. Without like, a where's, doubt. Where's John Harlan? Why isn't he calling for a boycott? Why isn't he saying what Warner Brothers is doing is reprehensible to the memory of Stanley Kubrick? Where are you? Like I said, in all honesty, folks, if you're listening to this, go find Leon Vitale and John Harlan. Ask them, say, like, why aren't you denouncing this? And he's going to give an answer with uh, wads of cash sticking out of his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. All right, Rob. Cinemati and or late night movie. Oh, oh, God. Uh, I think I have a hot take. I think I have a oh, hot oh, take okay. on, on our questions. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to group them all together, and I'm going to go pretty quickly. You ready? Cinemati's no. Late night, no. Snacks, there should be nothing in our restaurant that represents this movie. This is the first time I'm saying this. I did think of snacks, but I decided I don't want to pitch any. I do not want any part of our menu to reference this movie. I, I think this is something, the first thing we're watching, this is beyond men, women, and children for me. I hated this movie even more than I hated that one. And this, I, I don't even think, like, if, if we could blacklist this from the restaurant, that's my thoughts. You should never watch it, so no to late night. You should never think about it, so no to snacks. And homogenization, turning something that was so mysterious and intriguing into a superhero movie, that is not an oddity. That is just the way the world's going. So I have 
So literally, my answer to cinemodities is no. My answer to late night is no. And my answer to snacks is no. I know I'm breaking new ground. I don't know if Zach expected this. <laughs> no, no, I like it. I wasn't even thinking about that, but I, I dig it. I'm on board. Like, fuck this movie. Like, yes. We went back and forth if we were even going to discuss this. And then we had the chance to release a review early, which I'm glad we're doing. But seriously, this, this, is, this episode of Cinemodities is just a review. I feel that this should not bleed into our restaurant. Well, I'm go. I agree with uh, like Rob said. Um, I don't know how strong we can put a no for cinema. Well, late night movie, definite no. But I do think. Oh, yeah, cinemodities. I was on the fence a little Cinemodi- bit, and then my hatred just overflowed. And <laughs> well, well, the problem though is that like I don't know if it's a cinemodity or because maybe under a certain lens it's a cinemodity because it's just like everything. It's so it's so abhorrent in both its reverence and its disdain for what came before it. Like it's a product of hatred. Like how many movies, especially like big budgeted films, come from a place of hatred? Yeah, that's it. I that's can't. A I I can't think of another major like Hollywood film that is like not even just the film. The 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 novel stems from a place of hatred by the, the person who created it. It was yeah. only created in contempt of somebody's adaptation of a previous work of theirs. Yeah, Stephen King sure did let the hate flow through him, and it shows. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, and I think maybe that's why it's a cinemati. It's it's a film that was created in anger and hatred. <laughs> as as for as for a, a, in addition to the restaurant, I'm going to say we're going to have a um, much like an Amanda Show sketch. We're going to have the Doctor Sleep platter, and what it is that you order it. Someone comes out with a a axe and throw and literally axes you in the groin. That is the Doctor Sleep platter. They nick your femoral artery. <laughs> yes, that is the Doctor Sleep platter. It is a. Uh, it's an axe to the groin. It's the uh, it's basically the suicide booth of the restaurant, <laughs> <laughs> more or less. And the waiters advise you you don't want to order this. Nothing good can come from this. <laughs> yeah, if if this if this does bleed into the restaurant in any way, shape, or form, it has to be it has to involve our waiters and our staff telling people don't order it, don't watch it, don't think about it, remove it from your brain. <laughs> yes, it, imagine this like our waiters pulling you aside, much like Mr. Greedy does to Jack in The Shining in the bathroom. Our waiters will pull you into the bathroom and tell you like you don't like this is dangerous. Did you know that your son is trying to order? <laughs> The doctor sleep. <laughs> <laughs> you need to bring a stop to this, Mister Torrance. <laughs> <sighs> exactly, exactly. Alrighty, Rob. With all that being said, how are we going to wrap up our doctor sleep episode? Jesus, can it just end abruptly? <laughs> can we? Can we, can we <laughs> a quick, just a reminder: if you've listened to all of this, um, don't check out Doctor Sleep, but do check out our uh, Terminator Dark Fate discussion on Knights of Vader later this same week. Yes, more, more, more uh, resolution to that uh, that series. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, that's gonna be another fun conversation to have, folks. Um, just keep one thing in mind: uh, Terminator Baby. That's all you need to know. Terminator, Terminator Baby. This is your Terminator Baby. Are these your Terminator <laughs> drapes? Is this your Terminator <laughs> drapes van? <laughs> well, that last one's pretty spot on. Yeah. <laughs> this is your Terminator movie? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it is not. Yeah, exactly. All right, what are we saying? Fuck Dr. Sleep? Fuck Stephen King? What did you just say? All all the above. All the above. We're going to say, okay, okay. One, two, three. Fuck Fuck Stephen King. Fuck Dr. Sleep. (laughs) (laughs) See, just like the film, folks, we are incoherent. We are not on the same page with each other. Yes. (laughs) Oh, God. I just want to watch Halloween 3 again. 
to take us back to the, the good times in Mon Silver. I, I do want to say, Rob, on Halloween last night, um, as I was cleaning up all my Halloween decorations, I had I put my guitar amp in my window with the Halloween soundtracks playing. And then as I was cleaning everything up, I put on Happy Happy Halloween nice. on loop. On loop. It was on loop for a solid like 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> That's awesome. And it was in, in, in the thing, in the audio track, it does have the thing. Make sure to tune into the big giveaway at nine o'clock. And, and this was all be happening at like 830. <laughs> so it was perfect. That's On awesome. Halloween night, I was playing the Silver Shamrock anthem with the nine o'clock little sting in there before nine o'clock. It was glorious. I love it. Love it. See, there, there, there are great movies out there. It's just not Doctor Sleep. <laughs> no, no, not bad. No, it's very, very bad. Not good. Mess you up. Yes. Well, then, uh, to lead us out, I, I'm glad that we get to start next week our Fansgiving fan member series. That'll be a good. Well, I guess a slight change in pace because it might be a horror movie we're discussing next week. Well, but. it's we we I think we never even determined what it actually is. But <laughs> true, it's, uh, true. It's a good. It's not Doctor Sleep, so it gets a thumbs up along just on yep. that. Yep, the upswing. We're back on the upswing. <laughs>